I was a lion in the tall grass. Wish I had a pilot and a podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can haul ass and travel with portable speakers playing bars, scats. Wish I had a million dollars. I wish I had a million albums. I wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man. Yeah. I wish I was a comedian on late night sitcoms syndicated on TV land. I wish this well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like. All right, guys, we're trying this for the third time after some technical issues. This is episode 52 of The Debrief. The attitude here in my voice is all of my enthusiasm having been drained by these technical difficulties. Before we even get going, I'm going to take a caller. If I cannot take a caller, I'm going to be ending the stream before talking to myself ad nauseum for a goddamn 15-minute period with no one listening to me. Reed, can you unmo- uh, unmute yourself and say something so we can know if this yeah, is working? Yeah, can you hear me? Can you hear Excellent. Me? Reed, please remute yourself, and I'm going to do a proper introduction. I'm so sorry. No worries. It's not your fault. <laughs> All right, here we go. This week, uh, we talked about... Um, Tucker Carlson, the New York Times last weekend did a 2000, uh, 20,000-word deep dive into his messaging. They watched, you know, hundreds and probably thousands of hours of his show, uh, and also did a review of his history, his professional history, his personal history, how he came to be here. Obviously, the point of the New York Times, us reviewing the New York Times article, is not to take it. Um, at face value, but to have a conversation about how the left should, should approach the question of Tucker Carlson and the broader media ecosystem that he's a part of and whether or not we should handle it differently than liberals have. One of the uh, ideas that came up during the course of the episode was that liberals sometimes overcharge folks with more than they can actually prove. Uh, and therefore, Tucker Carlson can often paint in, in his ilk can paint liberals as having accused him of things that he hasn't done because it's difficult to prove, especially in a world where folks believe that racism is only the most explicit kind of I hate N words version of the thing. Um, it's difficult to prove a lot of the things that he's accused of. And I think a question that we should discuss is whether to and how to address the things that actually come out of his mouth when he does such a good job, frankly, of covering his own bases um, and saying things like, I support Martin Luther King and I believe I should be judged by the color of my skin and those kinds of things that really sidestep um, what people who are authoritative in this area say are direct talking points from white supremacist websites. Uh, The son of the founder of one of these white supremacist groups, I recently saw an interview saying that his parents watch uh, Tucker Carlson show to get talking points because he does a better job of disseminating those kinds of talking points than even they themselves do, you know, and at the same time, all that is going on, they have effectively neutralized many people on the left, the real left's willingness to talk about issues like white supremacy, because we do so much talking about how the identity politics is weaponized, that there's a real credibility issue. If you ever want to bring up actual white supremacy, of course, this episode was recorded before the incident in Buffalo, the shooting and the mass shooting in Buffalo this weekend. Um, and so we certainly made no claims about whether or to what extent Tucker Carl should be, Carlson should be held accountable. But I do think there's an interesting question to ask, which is the extent to which the narrative that downplays the very existence of white supremacy, the very existence of structural racism, uh, and also attacks teaching like basic American history, which has now been dubbed CRT, even though it's not, 
um, that would help illuminate the background of these kinds of events and why they're so pernicious and why there needs to be more to it done to address them. There's also a discourse ongoing about the alacrity with which Congress uh, responded when there were protests outside of the Supreme Court following the leaked Dobbs uh, draft decision that would overturn Roe. Barricades went up and there was an immediately a bill passed to provide additional funding to Supreme Court uh, members following this tragic incident and so many tragic incidents, hate, uh, hate motivated incidents like this over the course of the last few years, there has been nothing done uh, to protect the interests of black Americans and various other communities. There was a stop Asian hate bill. The existence of that bill has made some in the black community very frustrated because there doesn't seem to be parity there. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and play a quick clip from the episode and then I'm going to get right to read and the rest of the callers. This is a subject that I'm working out for myself and really trying to figure out um, the best way to approach this. So I'm really looking forward to hearing from you all. But first, uh, some context. A deeply American purpose. Whoa, 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 whoa. So sorry about that. I unplugged because I thought I was not going to be doing this today. All right. I'm going to just fix my audio so it's coming through my road and not out of my speakers. My apologies. Okay. Here we go. ...is to convince citizens the deeply American purpose that Tucker Carlson serves is to convince citizens of the world's biggest, most imposing imperial power that they themselves are always the underdog. That is the narrative vacuum that was left after the Cold War that right-wing media figures have been able to fill. And now we have kind of a perfect setup where he can perpetually speak to a the citizens of a decaying empire about all the people who are keeping them from living the flourishing lives that they were promised by growing up in this country. So it's really the gift that keeps on giving for his type of coverage. Yeah, I want to talk about how he does that. Because the thing that I find to be sort of frightening about Tucker Carlson is how he's so effectively able to simultaneously embrace a sort of grievance culture where, to your point, Max, he's the underdog Everyone's out to get the legacy American, which is this term they've come up with, so that he doesn't have to talk in explicitly racial terms. It means Americans who have been here for a long time, which I personally, as an American descendant of slaves, find to be hilarious because I suspect that I'm not considered to be a legacy American, <laughs> despite having been here longer than you know almost every white person here. Um, definitely longer than Tucker Carlson. Definitely longer than Tucker Carlson. <laughs> um you know, so he's able to simultaneously orient himself as like the victim, but also attack historically marginalized groups for ever articulating anything about their own well-documented, often legally backed persecution by the state. And he he's able to occupy that role without succumbing to those, a lot of liberals who've been pointing out this hypocrisy for a long time. He has that thing that Trump has, this kind of Teflon shield where any critique of what he says rolls off. And some of it, I think, is because liberals often overcharge him, like charge him with more than they can prove in the same way they did with Donald Trump. All right, let's hear from you. We're going to have a somewhat abbreviated session tonight because we lost an hour and I can't go late because I got to wake up in the morning and do... The Hill. So, Reed, what's on your mind? 
Hey, I'll be real quick, Bree. Thank you so much for um, hanging in there with us to hang out with us. Thank you very much. <laughs> no worries. It's not, it's not you guys' fault. Anyway, just really quickly, I just, you know, I think you asked the perfect question about the, like, are we trying to prove a case that we can't really prove? And I loved that. I was so excited to watch this video today because the three people I love so much, each one of them individually, but I don't really feel like any of them really got to the real root of the issue. Mm. Like one example is Trevor, who I like a lot, who said that like, yeah, he's just trying to please the right wing. Well, then why did he have Christian Walker on a couple of weeks ago? Why did he have um, Glenn Greenwald on, Jimmy Dore? I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not defending Tucker in any way. I find him despicable. But I still don't think we've gotten to the root of why people really do and are so attracted to him and are so attached to his whatever he's trying to pass on. And I hope that we can have a broader discussion about that. Thanks, Reed. I mean, I think that the question of why people are attracted to him is that he's a grievance monger and everybody feels aggrieved, rightly so, because things aren't great. And he gives a really clear portrait of who's responsible, unlike the liberal corporate media, which never points the finger at any body other than these somewhat, you know, they're not abstract, but um, more abstract than a human being are notions like racism, um, you know, Republicans, Trump, Russia, Putin. I mean, those are the enemies and you gotta, you gotta pick what's a more visceral enemy and what seems like the right story. And I think there's a certain, um, consistency to the right story that doesn't exist among on, on the liberal media channels. One, because liberals never, ever, ever criticize a member of their own party. So there's no credibility game there. Tucker Carlson and Republicans will scrap it up amongst each other. You saw, what was it? Marjorie Taylor Greene and was it Josh Howley? Some other Republican, they were scrapping it up on the floor about um, the money being sent to well, I guess it wasn't Josh Haley, but money being sent to Ukraine. I mean, there are all of these internal disputes. There was obviously a pro-Trump faction and a not pro-Trump faction among the Republican Party. And there is a diversity of ideas and interests. In the Democratic Party, if you fail to hail Queen Nancy Pelosi, then you are a Putin puppet and a defector and you want Trump to win, all of this kind of stuff. And so there's never a accurate accounting of what's gone on in the world. Tucker Carlson is willing to say, even though he heaps the criticism on the left more than the right, that there is a quartocracy, the plutocracy, the Trump, the the swamp needs to be drained. The elites are taking your money. The American worker isn't getting their fair share. You don't hear things like that on the liberal media in part because they are so in bed with the plutocracy. They're, you know, I have nothing personally against Anderson Cooper. I think he makes a great New Year's host, you know, but at the end of the day, you have like Vanderbilt's hosting on the MSNBC channel, of course, Tucker Carlson, his mother is the Tyson chicken heir, but it's like you have, you have, you know, very people who are very easily painted as out of touch elites, especially because their messaging is out of touch and elitist. And here comes Tucker Carlson who rightly points to trade deals being sent overseas, rightly points to the inconsistency of money being spent on wars when it can't be spent at home, you know, takes a half truth about the fact that immigration depressing wages among the lowest, lowest tranche of American workers, which I know some, some social scientists will push back on, but some social scientists will corroborate, 
you know, and instead of having a left response to that, which is to say, let's make sure the social safety net is there for the, that bottom tranche. Let's make sure that immigrant labor can't be exploited and that you're required to actually pay them a living wage if that's what's going to keep wages from being driven down from Americans. Let's have an actual path to citizenship so people aren't being paid under the table because they're able to earn their wages legally. All these other kinds of things that address the problem. No, Tucker Carlson just says they got to stay out of the country because they're bad for America and they're bad for the culture of America and talk between the lines about what the, that culture of America means and who is and who isn't a legacy American and all that kind of stuff. I don't know that I personally find the, the why of him being compelling to be mysterious. I mean, you saw, you heard the clip that we played during the episode about like, how we got to get tampons out of uh, restrooms in the army and, and get the chicks off of submarines because they're bleeding all over the place. I mean, it's nothing if not entertaining. <laughs> it's nothing if not entertaining. And it makes you feel like there's a problem. There's a, there's a, there's a cause behind your problems that can be addressed without you having to give up anything. That's key. Then why isn't it easier for the three people you had on today, easier to communicate that the way you just did? Well, I don't, I don't know that I asked him the question. I don't know that we were really trying to explore why he's appealing. I think well, we were no, trying I to mean, explore how question, to address it. The question that you brought up in the clip where you said, like, we're like the lawyer with a bad case in some ways, trying to communicate this. Like, why can't we communicate how pernicious this really is? And I still feel like we keep on going back to these simplistic lenses of like, oh, he's only trying to please the right wing. Well, no, actually, he does a lot of things that please a lot of different people. So it's very, it's much more nuanced, I guess, is all I'm trying to say. Yeah, I don't remember the part or who, if anyone said he's only trying to please the right Trevor. wing. Trevor said it at one point when he was, and I love Trevor. Like, I, Trevor's so brilliant. And I just, in this moment, I was like, oh, that's like the simplistic way of like addressing this. And actually, no, it's more nuanced than that because he did have Christian Walker on. Why did he have him on? Well, okay, I'm not so, saying that was a perfect interview, but I'm uh, just saying that happened. So again, it's like we keep do getting mean, sort of so first of all, the news. Do you mean Chris Smalls from Amazon? Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Excuse so sorry. I don't think that having Chris Smalls on has anything to do with wanting to appeal to the left. I think you can have guests on that provide cover for you. And I think that sometimes you can have a mutual exactly. enemy. I think you That's can have a mutual I mean. I think you can have a mutual enemy with someone on the left. So have someone on, but I don't think that that is part of that, that the existence of Chris on the show at all disproves the idea that he is catering to a conservative audience. Now words like conservative are, have diminishing value. I don't know what exactly what that, that means when majority, you know, he's the most popular show among a number of demographics, including people who don't identify as Conservative. I mean, you saw the polling that shows that people who are liberal are watching Fox News increasingly as well. Right. So that's right. neither here nor there. But again, I'm not especially interested in the question of why he's appealing because he is, you know, like, and I, and I kind of get that. Like, I'm not especially confused about why people like him. He's, it's an entertaining show. Uh, I, my question, and I want the question I would love us to explore tonight is how to match that programming, match the entertainment value or match the messaging value and, di and direct those energies in the solutions that he has and some at times rightly identifying or the problem sometimes he is rightly identifying and provide solutions for them that aren't nativist and um, hate and fear mongering and to draw attention to the extent to which he also provides cover for elites the same way that the liberal corporal media does, even if he does 
throw a bone and give some lip service to folks like Chris Smalls or, you know, occasionally talk about, uh, you know, uh, Nancy Pelosi and elitism and those kinds of things. Um, I think that's an excellent question. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you, Bree. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Reed. <laughs> no worries at all. Thanks for starting us off nicely. Clifford, you're up next. What's on your mind? Hi, Bree. Hey, Clifford. Long time. How yeah, are you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you doing on other than the technical? <laughs> I'm doing all right. What's in your mind this evening? Well, I just wanted to call in because um, I really, really enjoyed this episode. And I feel like uh, like a broader question of like a media deficit kind of that I think benefits uh, Tucker Carlson's show kind of has to do with this undirected like because of the futility of electoralism and how so few people um, are willing to really call that out. Like I would basically, I think you recently have started to kind of, you know, come around to the, to the premise that electoral solutions just aren't viable anymore. And like, other than you and basically RBN, like there's not really that many outlets that will talk about it. And RBN, as much as I like them, they, uh, they do have like really long, I would love it if they released like shorter clips and stuff like that, that more people could connect to because they're just very long form Mm -hmm. for their content, you know? And, um, and I, so I just think that basically to just go through a really quick list, like um, breaking points, I really feel like the comment sections over there are nightmares. Like the, uh, and I think crystals like really invested in electoralism in a weird way. And I see her kind of shifting a lot in kind of worrying ways. Like their show never talks about climate anymore. Like, like at all, like you have to look months back to find anything. They didn't cover any of the stuff. Like I kind of was hoping their show would be like an answer to mainstream media and cover the stuff the mainstream media won't cover, but they don't cover direct action or disruption or anything like that. They basically have the same frequency as the mainstream media in that regard. And, and I feel like it's getting very right wing and very kind of centrist in a lot of ways, you know, which is not to put them down. I still think there was a lot of potential there. Like David Sirota, he made a whole movie about electoralism leading to essentially the end of the world, you know, and he still like is super invested on the politics on the hill and and you know he's gonna cover the midterms and not really cover like the other stuff um there was a great thing in the lever today but it wasn't um or the lever sorry if i mispronounced that that um but it wasn't his work it was um matthew cunningham cook and it was it was um a point similar to the one um max made in your episode talking about how uh capitalism is essentially the answer to all mm-hmm. of these things. Yeah. Uh, so maybe uh, you read that, but uh, it's yeah. a really it's a really good story. I'm sorry. And then the last one, uh, G- Glenn Greenwald. You know, uh, whenever he talks about climate, it's to dunk on like people uh, who aren't acknowledging veganism. You know, and uh, and then like and then he'll expand like he expends a lot of his bandwidth kind of like owning the libs a lot of the time, you know, and which is, you know, surprising to be honest. So I feel like maybe it's the whole atmosphere. It's probably because there's no one's going to fund, you know what I mean? Like I think who was on your show? Was it Glenn who was talking about how billionaires? Yeah, it was Glenn who like 
basically like you have to compromise. And right now, billionaires are the people who have the money. Well, billionaires are never going to fund an outlet that says like, look, the only stratagem left to working class people is to like rise up and like disrupt profits of the most wealthy people on earth. If they want to have health care, yeah. if they want to, you know, get any say, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. No, I just, I think that it's not even, it's not even about billionaires saying I'm going to cancel your show. If you do that, it's self-censorship. Everything is self-censorship. It's everything is the algorithm and people feeling like they have to make the algorithm guys, environmental content. No one clicks on it. That doesn't mean you shouldn't, you should stop doing it, but I will tell you a hundred percent environmental content. Nobody clicks on it. Okay. You know, labor issues. Nobody. And Max was saying this even in today's episode, you know, he does all this really great reporting, talking to working people. Jordan Cheriton similarly does, and they really struggle. And I think that, that, and I can't speak for, you know, Crystal and Sager, but having been in similar shoes, I think, I suspect that to the extent that they're not, if you're right and they're not covering climate as much, it's because there is this like pernicious drive to chase the algorithm because yes. you know, for better or for worse, when you are independently funded, like they are and persisting off of, you know, Patreon and, and YouTube, then you, you gotta, you know, you gotta care about the clips and figuring out what that, uh, the clicks rather and figuring right. out that balance is like, I don't know, man, it's rough. Okay. But would you, wouldn't you also agree that there's kind of a caveat there? Because like you're, like you were kind of delving into with the Bernie episode about like content being mm. curated by the 1% essentially. Like I know there are some channels, like I think Second Thought on YouTube um, gets, you know, like I think they have like a million subscribers and they release some really good climate content that gets, you know, I think like over a hundred thousand hits and stuff like that. I could be wrong, but, um, but I, uh, I just I can't help but wonder, are we really getting an accurate sense of these things or is it um, also to do with algorithmic control by the elites? Because like I think um, I think uh, uh, like in a popular sense, you know, like a lot of platforms, there's a huge climate is what's on the the tip of the tongue for so many young people. You know what I mean? Like, I think a huge swath of the population is looking for an outlet. And I think that is incredibly necessary for the ruling class to make sure that none of those outlets are really talking about something outside of the, like, uh, you know, endorsed methodology of electoralism. None of those can crop up in any effective way, you know, because that would be such a a challenge to power. So I think it's like, I think people would click on shit if it was like climate plus like why destruction of property might be the only way to save the planet or something like that. Something yeah, I really think that's inflammatory. True. I, think like, that's, okay. I think that's true. I think that's right. right. Well, thanks for hearing me out, Bree. I really appreciate it. Sorry that was a little long winded, but I really love the episode today. No, not at all. Thank you, Clifford. I appreciate you. I always appreciate you calling in. All right, Brent, you're up. What's on your mind this evening? Hello, good night, Bree. Uh, yeah, it was a great episode. Um, yeah, I guess I have a, a couple things to say. One, um, and it kind of does tie into what Clifford just mentioned, even about um, breaking points, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like on the left, there is almost, uh, you're always playing defense, right? Mm-hmm. There's always a sense of like being defensive. I think what the right wing does so well is that they're always on the attack. So you'll say something and it's almost like, Okay, whatever. And they'll still just attack more ferociously, right? And and it's at the end of the day, it just for the for the audience, for the people watching, 
it looks like they're making a point only because they never seem to be kind of like what you all talk about the opposite. They never seem to give any type of ground that they are, you know, wrong or maybe you're mistaken. And I'm, I'm and granted that's, that's not always a good thing, but I do think like the left um, would benefit from, I think not like that idea of self self, like almost with breaking points. What I often feel like is that I can see Crystal at times, like trying to be reasonable and Sargis just like saying like what he like kind of feels and thinks like fully. Right. And it's like, I think when it, when it, when you, when I view it like that, then it's like, ah, well, I can see where people may get more attracted to what he's saying, because while Crystal is trying to be like reasonable and trying to get that person who may like, you know, oh, hair white supremacy, like y'all was saying in the episode, and kind of just like, okay, I'm checking out, right? Like, Saga doesn't worry about that. I feel like the right wing, like, and you know, I get, you know, Saga's not as like as you know, he's not as, like Tucker Carlson, but I'm just saying that. He he is representative of like a, a, at least of a, a style of communication that I think the right wing does so well. They don't. They they always push their point no matter what. I, yeah, I, I think that the I think that the left does end up defensive, and I think that we've thought for oh, too long that we could just like sidestep, you know, sidestep you know identity issues and talk about class because identity is quote unquote divisive, and I've been guilty of that as well but at the end of the day you're just losing ground and it feels like you're losing ground and you're losing ground and i'm sorry like I, I, the part of why i'm having this tipping point moment is because of this as yet not released debate with charlie kirk i'm not sure when they're going to put it out when i realized like we really are in a place where what we're debating is whether or not structural racism is real like that was the debate prompt which to me is like where you fucking lost like that's the stupidest thing i've ever heard in my life you know what i mean like yeah structural everything is real is you know everything is structural structural doesn't even mean anything it just means like everything (laughs) it's funny enough right like because even with uh i was watching the hill rising this morning and robbie was talking about uh, Netflix and you know the the uh not the memo they gave out right uh-huh. and it was so interesting like how it was being framed as if only the you know you have the progressives who are like trying to cancel people and I was like well wait a minute wasn't a several months ago like the right wing were talking about cuties mm-hmm. like it's so it's like it's like stuff like that where like the right wing are just like able to like yeah let's forget us I like just almost make it seem like canceling is only this thing that's like, oh, you know, progressives, you know, millennials and, you know, Gen Zers just showed up and they want to start canceling people. And it's like, no, you guys are doing the same thing. Like, and so it's just like, yeah, it is kind of this weird thing where, like, you know, like sometimes the framing, you already lose the, because, like, at the end game with the CRT argument, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he literally is on Twitter telling people, yeah, we're going to just, like, make this term mean whatever we want it to mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're not really engaging in this thing in good faith. And it still worked. And that's just like baffling to like see. Well, yes, because also the thing is like if the whoever brought up the grievance is going to own it, no matter how much of a good response you have. So like I have some sympathy for Tucker or whomever it is saying uh, it's wrong because here, here's the problem. There is fucked up shit that people have said. Like you cannot like the problem is there is some dumb Connecticut liberal somewhere who truly is saying white people, white kids are born evil and we have to get them to repent. Like mm-hmm. that, like mm-hmm. I'm not going to sit here and lie and say there isn't people, aren't people like that 
over places. And the problem is, I'm sorry. Like I said this in like more dulcet tones, but I'm a little irritated today. So here's <laughs> what's <worry>. happening. Like, <laughs> Who, 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 like they think they're doing the right thing, but they're just, they're dumb and they yep. literally don't understand what racism is themselves. Yep. So they, they bought, they bungle the entire message and they walk around saying things that are like too aggressive by like 80%. And all yeah. it takes for there to be five, 10, 15, 50, 100, 200 of these morons across the country, the yep. right will find them. If you read the New York Times article, it talks about how Tucker Carlson and his team, they comb through all of these campus newspapers every day. They lay, they, they search for instances of yep. people acting out and being crazy yep. or getting a fact wrong. Oh, I thought there was a hate crime because someone put a banana in my logger, but it turns out it was just a banana in my logger and not someone calling me a monkey. Okay, they take the time when someone was wrong about something and they blow it up on the national stage. Now, I'm not saying this is necessarily constructive in what the left or liberals should be doing, mm-hmm. but, you know, these people are out here, right-wingers are out here doing some absolute bananas stuff. And that was the point of me playing that tampon clip. It's like any random clip sounds completely unhinged. You've got Congress members with laser eyes in their Twitter bios, and we're talking about someone's pronoun in their bio. Ma'am, you have laser eyes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think you did a uh, with Robbie when you asked him, like, "Hey, so if someone's like comes to you and they they want that to be called like a birthing person, like, what would you do?" Yeah, I like he kind of was like, oh, I, "I guess I would." just use that that term like because right like, so what are we even fighting about like why yeah, are you even exactly. bringing it up <laughs> so i think i think that was like a great point because it was just like so like yeah what is what is this all about like at the end of the day if, a, if you're gonna respect it because the, you don't want to be disrespectful to this one person then, then what's the difference i'm like i like really how many people i don't think i've ever met somebody who was like who who said like like i don't know how often that term is used in like like on the street like if you said birthing person, I don't think anyone would know what. Like, oh wait, that, that, like you'd be educating them on that term, but, like, right? Which is what the like, right wingers have like been doing, and I like I run ironically. Like I'm saying birthing person now, when I probably would have just said, oh, that pregnant person. If I ever did encounter a trans man who's pregnant, mm-hmm. I'd be like, oh, they're pregnant. I, I wouldn't even. I wouldn't have come up with a term. I'd have been like, oh, Tom's pregnant. Like whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so. so yeah, yeah, so they they are they've like weirdly maybe we like maybe twenty years from now we'll all look back and say, LOL, this all worked out for us. But right now it is stressful because we're talking about birthing person instead of talking about all these people who cannot, you know, are gonna be forced to give birth because <laughs> they're yeah. getting rid of abortion or who gave birth and can't feed their babies because of of of, of formula being you know, uh having this deficit, which is also being co opted in the weirdest of ways. It's mm-hmm. somehow like now it's all about like we got to deregulate the FDA. Like that's like the nuttiest shit I've ever heard in my life. I'm sorry. Like this stuff is yeah. cr- I'm losing my mind right now. Well, I mean, I think like, so like I definitely with the CRT debate, like I think like one of the things that came to mind was just like, okay, how many people talking about CRT, talking about race in general, have ever really read like, you know, the civil rights tradition it, at any of it really? Outside, like just hearing like a speech from like uh, a part of a speech from from um, MLK Jr. Right, mm-hmm. like a, 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 maybe a couple lines here from Malcolm X. But have you really done the research into these traditions? And the thing with CRT, what's so crazy, is many of the people that they're referring to are alive today who can talk about it. But like Tucker Carlson and the rest of these guys are going to invite like Kimberly Crenshaw, 
um, and, and the Masudas are um, on his show because that's not to his advantage. He just like I was saying this to I was saying this to Charlie Kirk. I was like, if you want to have a conversation about all of the like the the deep the history of structural racism and how it operated, invite Kiangi Yamada Taylor on. Invite any number of historians on. Like, why are you even talking to me? Like, I'm I'm a Candace Owens to the left. I barely ever talk about race. Like, everyone on my side is mad at me because I don't talk about race enough. Like, this is some clown shit on your end for thinking mm-hmm. that you just found some random black person, so I'm supposed to be an authority on something. And I'm not trying to dodge the issue. Like, it sounds like I'm trying to dodge the issue. But I'm like, I'm a lawyer. I'm no historian. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I mean, I know what redlining is, but I can't explain it to you half as well as a bunch of people who've got a PhD in sociology or african-american studies or something and uh the guy's name uh because there's a guy who uh is actually uh the african-american who actually disagreed with Derek bell back in the day right mm-hmm. about the critical race theory and i can't and he was on a uh a four-way was it with um was it charlie Kirk on there or was it uh james Lindsay? it was one of those guys who, mm-hmm. who kind of made a, a whole industry of the crt thing and basically, they were asking him, like, hey, you know, like, you disagreed, and what do you think about it? Um, and basically, he he kind of, like, refuted, like, the anti-CRT right-wing guy, because he was like, no, like, you know, CRT, actually, I would actually say they, they would have predicted Trump. They were actually right on a few things, because he's, he's disagreeing with some things, but disagreeing on in good faith. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's the kind of person they will never invite, right? Because he won't play into their, like, you know, moral panic politics of trying to, you know, just make this whole, make very reasonable things. Like, it's so crazy. When you hear, like, some of the things that they accuse, like, CRT of, and then you read, like, CRT uh, literature, they, like, it's the complete opposite. Like, even the whole talk about, um, you know, oh, these weird diversity programs in, in um, you know, HR places. Mm-hmm. CRT, like, as a tradition, it's kind of skeptical of that kind of stuff. I, I know, Brent. I know, Brent. But look, look, look. You're already losing. We yeah. all agree course, here on that. Yeah. But also, nobody gives a shit. Like, I got to say. Like, yeah, th- th- this is the entire problem. I can, We cannot be getting in some conversation. I don't want to talk about CRT. Fuck yeah. it. I'm over it. I want to talk about the dumb shit they're doing. Because I'm tired of being on the back foot. I'm tired of being but on I the back to- foot. I, I don't give a shit. Like, I don't give a shit. I want to yeah. talk about the fact that a, an avowed white supremacist just killed 10 black people in Buffalo, New York. That's uh, what I want to talk is, about. Like, but it doesn't stick to them for some oh, reason. No, 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 no. I'll tell you what doesn't stick is having another year or two or five of a conversation about CRT. Definitely. I want, like, we're Definitely. already pussyfooting around. All of us on this call are here knowing that we're, we will, we will get dragged as leftists if we even for a second try to pin on Tucker Carlson any responsibility for this. And I'm frankly Absolutely. not even going to do it. I'm not even interested in that because that does seem like low hanging fruit for someone to come and attack me because there are all these other instances of people claiming they were inspired by X, Y, and Z person, some of whom I like. But what I am not going to back away from is the idea that this man who had a literal white supremacist manifesto and said he based his behavior Behavior on other white supremacists and talked explicitly about replacement theory and explicitly went and sought out a black neighborhood and a black grocery store and shot black people with mm-hmm. with with here's your reparations written on his gun. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like that's not white supremacy in every monkey ass fool that gets on the TV for, from here into eternity who tries to downplay the existence of white supremacy doesn't have to confront that fact. Tucker Carlson yep. aside, who cares about Tucker Carlson? I'm actually, this- oh, I'll say one last thing. And I, sorry, because I, I, I took some so much time. I apologize to the other callers. Um, but 
one last thing to say is that, like, I think we should just retire the whole, like, are you saying so-and-so is racist? Like, look, who cares? Like, Joe, if, like with the Joe Rogan discourse, like, it so quickly went away from what was actually said. Like, I didn't really care about the N-word thing as much as, like, he did. He had some other comments that were kind of more like, hey, this is something we need to address. Because at the end of the day, white supremacy is a narrative, right? And you need to address these narratives. But it always devolves into, are you saying Joe Rogan's a racist? Are you saying Tucker Carlson's a racist? Are you saying so-and-so is a racist? And it's like, who cares? It doesn't matter. Like, that one individual person could be a racist or not be a racist. That doesn't matter. What is, is what that person's saying supporting the narrative of white supremacy or not? Forget the person. Like, and I feel like that is also a trick that often gets played. Like, are you saying so-and-so is a racist? And it's like, no, man, who cares? We do not like, care. I don't and care. here's a rhetorical <laughs> move that, like, people aren't ready for yet. Like, I've said it on this show, but people... The people at large aren't ready for it. Liberals don't know what to do with it. Like, I, they'll try to cancel me for it. I don't give a shit. I'm black. I'm sorry. I'm black. Try it. Try it. <laughs> Here, here's my response to that. I frankly think everybody's racist. I'm racist. Come on, guys. Like, we yep. live in a world where we're indoctrinated by all kinds of bizarro, stupid beliefs about people. Like, you'd have mm-hmm. to li- live in a bubble not to have internalized some of the stereotypes that exist out in the world. Like, I hear yeah. myself saying, thinking, doing things all the time and be like, whoa, how did they even get into my brain? Like, and so you, I know you're lying, you're a lying liar <laughs> if you say that you are, don't have prejudice, bias, whatever you want to call it. Maybe you don't want to call it capital R racism because racism is power plus oppression and all the blah, 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 whatever. I get it. I also took a sociology class in college. Okay. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, like I would rather do the maneuver that says everyone's racist and maybe being racist isn't the worst thing in the entire world. I think I said this on maybe the first or second episode of this call in show. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's a great point. Let's just let everybody be racist, but also like not make that be the worst thing that you can ever be called in the world to show that people will be willing to internalize that and actually deal with it the same way if you told someone, oh, you're like not a fast runner. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I think you're kind of lazy, or you know, you need to learn how to spell better. I don't know. Like, it's just it yeah. cannot be such a grave thing that people aren't willing to confront it and deal with it. Yeah, because I think, like, to, to your point, like, really, I think once everyone realizes that we, like, the world didn't start the day we were born. Like, we were born into a world that's already been here. So the yeah. reality is, like, there are things that we've been taught that we have to unlearn. Everybody is in that position. And I think, like, you're right. Like, I think the whole thing with racism is, like, it's almost like people think, like, you're branded for all eternity. And it's like, no, man, everyone has things. They There's things that I thought of, like, I've thought about, like, my younger years when I was, like, in school. And I think mm-hmm. of some things I've said, I'm like, whoa, like, that was crazy. But, like, you know, the early 2000s was a crazy time. It you was a crazy time. I remember Brent. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sorry, Brent. I'll, I'll come off now. You know, everybody else here is on here, and I, I want them to get some time. So, <laughs> no, you're great, Brent. Thank you for uh, letting me rant a little bit there. <laughs> no worries, man. It's great. All right. Okay, Andrew, what's on your mind this evening? Oh, oh, one thing before you talk, Andrew, I want to pick up on one thing that Brent said. Um, he says something about like Martin Luther King and all that jazz. I, Tucker Carlson, or no, Fox News just tweeted this tweet out. It's a picture of Tucker Carlson in this quote that says, the American way of life is meritocracy. L-O-F-F-L, but that's not the part I want to talk about. Judge me by what I do, not how I look, by the content of my character, not the color of my skin. Okay, Republicans love this colorblind stuff. They've been doing this colorblind stuff since like the 80s. Tucker Carlson didn't invent it. But let me tell you who enabled this. And this may or may not be a radar later this week, depending on how I workshop this. Liberals enabled this. And here's why. 
we have been using race as a proxy for class because we are a society that doesn't want to talk about class for a long time. Sometimes, and depending on where we were in American history, that proxy was so tight, you know, the, the relationship between race and class was so close that honestly nobody minded and it was it was pretty appropriate. But what it has done it is as that has obscured class and it has prevented liberals for addressing from addressing the concerns of poor whites because they don't have the language to talk about poor whites. They say things like black and brown when they mean poor. They erase poor whites and their, how they're implicated in the criminal justice system. The, I mean, the phrase Black Lives Matter even does that. You know, it's, it's a specific clarion call and there's something wrong with that. But, you know, there isn't a broader movement about police violence that explicitly includes people who are not black. Even brown people are kind of left out of out of that, you know. And so there are political consequences for that. And one of the political consequences is that conservatives are now exploiting the imprecision and the language of liberals when we're talking, when we mean as class and what we say, when we say as race, and using it to advance nativist and prejudiced ideology, which they're able to do by actually taking us at our word about what we say about race. So, so Tucker Carlson is able to say. Yes, I want to be judged by the content of my character, not the color of my skin. And I'm going to be specific in what I say when the immigrants come across the border and I say that they're dirty. It's because they literally have left trash in the desert. It's not because of the race. I didn't say anything about race. How dare you bring race into this? I'm just saying that these immigrants, immigrants are diverse. There's many different races of people in, in Latin America. There's white Latin Americans. There's black Latin Americans. There's, you know, Hispanic, Matizo. How dare you accuse me of saying something about race? All I'm saying is that, the science shows that when immigrants come through the desert, for every one of them, there's eight pounds of garbage or whatever the statistic is. And this isn't about race. And so because we have lost our ability to talk about marginalized groups outside of a racial context, all they have to do is say something specific about a group. They have weaponized like disparity language and they say, I'm not mad at black people because they're black. I'm mad at them because they're committing crimes. I'm not mad at Mexicans because they're brown. I'm mad because in eight, seven or whatever that group was that everyone was mad at like five years ago because, you know, this gang that killed these people or whatever it is that happened to be Mexican, you know? And so this is what has been my entire like project as a journalist. is like trying to curb liberal overreach because I anticipated this happening. Every time someone says something goofy and decides we should be mad at Kim Kardashian because you got box braids and we're supposed to be cultural appropriation, this and the other, and identity politics means we're painting the war planes pink and then dropping bombs on somebody. Like, this is where all of that leads, is the right being able to exploit the absurdity of and the imprecision in our language and when we're talking about who needs to be protected and why, to, to recast themselves as victims in all of this. And I want to play just like a really brief clip of Tucker's response to the Buffalo attack. And then I want you to talk, Andrew. Uh, here we go. So what is hate speech? Well, it's speech that our leaders hate. So because a mentally ill teenager murdered strangers, you cannot be allowed to express your political views out loud. That's what they're telling you. That's what they've wanted to tell you for a long time. But Saturday's massacre gives them a pretext and justification. You have to ask yourself, who behaves like that? What sort of person uses mass murder as an excuse to give a campaign speech or seize more political power? All right. He's always the victim. 
Go ahead, Andrew. Well, this is why it's important to play this whole thing. We'll do it live. Okay. We'll do it live. Because it wouldn't be any sucker Carlson without Bill O'Reilly being exited out of Fox for him being the horrible person that he is. Brianna Joy Bright, how are you doing? Well, first I'll give you first a hallelujah. Because <laughs> Oh, the whole entire calling glitch. Shout to this for Charlie, indeed, but it was definitely getting buggy in here about it. But you got on here, and that's adding to the exasperation that you already feel in general. <laughs> but I, I will say this, though. I have to give you, I have to preview this for you early because I have to give you the press right losing once for sale for a second. But that's going to be at the end of expressing first about Sucker Carlson about it because. That clip that you just played with him at the top of the show, that's how he does if you were coming into a show and you didn't know anything about him and you were neutral and you were completely oblivious towards not only his history or his recent show's history, but the network's history in general. And you're thinking to yourself, wow, that guy seems reasonable. How could anyone paint him as being anti-black and racist? when this guy literally has been issuing white grievances on his telecast since it began after he got plucked out of being in a whole black hole from how unpopular he was after everything that has happened with him at other networks and how he needed O'Reilly to be fired and exited because of O'Reilly being also a horrible person in order to even have a career, you know, revival with that. And that's why he just caters towards the audience that he has. And he has record ratings because fixed propaganda still is the source of being that anti-democratic or anti-centrism or just for conservatives at at least a decent base level base. It still is, whether those conservatives are rich or not. It still is that center, especially if you're in that eight o'clock hour. It still represents, as we know, the bastion against MSNBC or CNN or just any of the centers slash corporate media sources. It's still going to be the epicenter, no matter how Newsmax or OANN have tried so much. It's going to be the center. And if you got a guy like him who has a television background that he has and has his whole level of thinking that he's a deep intellectual and able to play off that, him being the whole really just unbearable asshole that he is, it's going to lead to that popularity. Not really hard to understand with that. He's going to lead to that. And by the way, someone I forgot which Paula was mentioning earlier um, before um, Brett came on there. But in regards to him having whether Glenn on there and other people. And by the way, I told this Glenn directly, both privately and publicly today, that I feel it's always shameful when he's on there. And that unless unless he's clowning Tucker, where it's OK to go on to me, their shows, whether Sean Insanity or, you know, a horror <laughs> Ingram or Megan Kelly's weird podcast and all that and have a discussion with them, but to, to me, just to ridicule them, because they're just clowns and terrible people with that. I feel with when with that, and whenever anyone on there, Jimmy Dore and all that, there's something where, yes, they can't stand centrists, and centrists have made it easy, or liberals, or just annoying centrist appeasers, whatever you want to call them in regards to it. But it's still something where they know this man is terrible, and they know for sure he's like that. So him having on them or say someone to debate in Christian Smalls because he thought Christian Smalls was going to be this black guy that he thought he could be intellectually uh, with all the time with that, and he realized that he couldn't, at least at that base level. But it's something where 
anything that contributes to trying to lessen any Democratic Party person power, whether it be someone as a centrist like Jim Clyburn or just someone on the real side like Bernie is or any of the members of the squad, it's just useful towards their, his goal and that network's goal of trying to make sure we have enough Republicans in there or just people that are just far away from getting our taxes raised and really, really having some real racial equity and gender equity in this country. So that's one thing why that is in his phenomenon and why he has that ratings with that because of that. But I will mention this, though, because Bree, I have to say you are not a racist girl. You are not whatsoever at all with that. And I say that because, you know, anyone in any race can be prejudiced. That is certainly the case where anyone in every race can be prejudiced. But always racism still goes to about the effect about doing heinous things on marginalized communities. And unless we're doing heinous things towards Jack Harlow or Russ or any white rapper in hip hop or someone in the NBA is being disparaging towards Luka Doncic or any prominent white player in a very, very discriminatory manner, the power structures still don't favor so, us. So, Andrew, like I said, I understand that argument, but I am in a place now where I just don't agree with it. I'm sorry. And I talked through this a little bit in the episode that I do, I, I did with Thomas Chatterson Williams and Batya Unger Sargon. We were talking about, you know, anti Semitism and is, if there were a difference between someone like uh, Whoopi Goldberg saying something out of ignorance versus saying something with intention and what the level of intentionality means and whether or not it matters if someone who is, is in fact anti-Semitic is anti-Semitic because they are in a position of less power and authority and they are because Jewish people have been also marginalized and were often placed into a position of being like the next tier above black people and, you know, segregated environments, landlords, et cetera, business owners, that the black people's oppression of white people would happen to be Jewish people because they were pushed together in that way because of the oppression of both groups, that that kind of anti-Semitism, is it different in kind, the kind of anti-Semitism of a Aryan who just thinks Jewish people are genetically, racially inferior? Maybe yes, maybe no. But like, I think that I would much rather be having those kinds of very context specific conversations about not whether or not one kind is absolved or not, but whether or not there's different kinds of racism and whether it matters to understand the difference between them. And in that context, we can talk about whether or not there's a difference between, between me, you know, being, you know, saying LOL white tears and someone saying, Oh, black people are violent thugs. Yeah. I think obviously those things are different, but I am not interested in this power plus. I don't think I'm interested in that power plus uh, prejudice formulation anymore because too many people have used it as an excuse not to talk about what responsibility people who are not in a position of power have to make sure our language isn't so easily weaponized the way that people like Tucker Carlson have been weaponizing it in a way that makes us now look like the villain because we've been walking around drinking out of white tears mugs telegraphing our kind of racialized antagonism while they've been doing a cloak and dagger and someone like Tucker Carlson gets off scot-free because he hasn't been drinking out of a I hate black people mug. Well, I, well of course, I got to get you, but you laid down a lot of still real points with that. But I would push back on this for at least two instances. Um, the first would be from the instance, of course, because we know in terms of the Joy Reeves, the Zelina Maxwell's of the world, because we're keeping it real here, or the Jason Johnson's of the world. But I think that's more in regards to non-Black um, liberals or centrists who would then use that in regards to not know what type of racism is happening from any non-Black or particularly, say, any other white people that they think 
are being racist and not at, say, Black people or those that are the marginalized community, whether it be an Asian member or someone of a brown descent, whether it be Desi or being Latino or Latina, it is something where they step into the bounds of making it confusing to know and ask people, like, what is actually racist? Like, what is racist? This person's not racist. How is this person racist? So I understand those lines with that, but it does not absolve still the system of just overall white supremacy. No, no matter how we know how there's certain, whether centrists, centrists, appeasers, liberals that will use that, whether they be black or non-black, and use it in a way to just want to talk about race but not address any class issues, it's still fundamentally clear that, I mean, this country was still built on the backs of anti-black slavery. And then still the anti-black slavery was yeah. not Andrew, Andrew, God bless you. I, I, I hear you. I hear uh-huh. that. But like, I can't get into, you're saying so many things that I have once upon a time said myself. Well, I, 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 I want to be honest with you though. I can't, I don't think we should be saying things anymore. Like, why? You, if you're going to talk about this country, of course, was built on anti-black slavery. I don't think that's a, that is not a phrase that I would let out of my mouth talking to any of these people. I would be specific as hell. I would say that the, the largest concentration of millionaires in America used to be in Natchez, Mississippi, because of how much slavery, how much of the American economy was based on slavery. I would cite specifically this amount of the American economy was based on slavery. I would cite specifically like, I'm, you're not wrong. You're obviously not wrong. But the point I'm trying to make is there, there was a maximalist Andrew. I'm sorry. Come on. You gotta let me get this out. There is a maximalist version of this, um, argument that I think people have been making in a way, in part because they don't know the specifics, Feeling like we're all in our silos and everyone agrees with each other puts us, makes us live for many, many years without ever being challenged on any of the specifics. Meanwhile, the Charlie Kirk's out of the world are out there like memorizing the Federalist Papers. And we find ourselves in these situations where we cannot make the argument in a specific way that responds to the specificity of the counter arguments that are coming our way. I agree with you to a certain point. I think that people should go on Tucker Carlson and if he says, you know, Put him in a position where he is made to respond to whether or not he thinks racism is real. And if he answers no, he looks insane. If he answers yes, is especially in the context of a shooting like with the one we just saw. If he answers yes, the follow-up question is, can you describe for me what you think racism is? Can you describe to me what in some examples of how racism is manifesting today? Because for what, whether better or worse, or whether or not I did so successfully with Charlie Kirk, at one point very early in the debate, he was like, well, yes, of course that's racism and it's structural. I'm like, okay, so then you just admitted there's structural racism, so what are we de- debating here? Well, because they're never asked to answer the question themselves. And so I think there's an enormous amount of value in going on the affirmative. Well, I mean, but the thing, though, is that is it going to be effective towards stopping his process and his whole propaganda? And this is why I mentioned this always about having black reparations. And sadly enough, how this um, white supremacist who did the shooting had that be a part of his gun. It's the fact that those still problems in regards to just overall fundamental anti-blackness has still seeped onto modern day society. No matter how many we know race hustlers try to use that in their ways to benefit themselves individually, but that doesn't obscure the fact that that's still been commonplace in our society where once again, People are still asking, when are we going to get black reparations where people who are descendants of slavery? But not only just that, in regards to the red line and the Jim Crow and the various other forms of systematic racism that has taken place or anti-blackness that has seeped through 19th, 20th and 21st century right now. 
So those things are still going to be there regardless of how someone reacts towards it because of how this country just hasn't addressed it. And why that's going to always still fundamentally just actually will be the case, no matter how I got you, Andrew, but we got to do a short show tonight because we lost an hour and I got to move on to some other callers. But thank you so much for calling in. I'll let you use on the others. I know Brent is getting his shine on, but I got to let you get the others, especially Shelly. She has a wonderful cat. Indeed, with that. <laughs> one final thing, as John Stewart would say to him. I mean, it's, it's it, no, no, it, how old are you? 35. And you wear a bow tie. <laughs> Reminded people, he still wore a bow tie. All right, Andrew. Thank you. I also want to point out, Max is in the room. Maximilian Alvarez from today's episode. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us. If you unmute yourself, you can talk. There you go. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Now, I saw people peer pressuring you to come up on stage. I don't want you to feel compelled to say anything, say as much or as little as you like. No, I, I appreciate it. I was just really marveling at the, the format. I think this is great. I'd heard about it, but I'd never actually been in on one. And I think it's really great that you do this, like actually give listeners a chance to respond to what you're putting out. That's a more participatory, democratic form of media making that we all need to be doing more of so i just wanted to give you a big shout out for for doing that and yeah the chat has been great uh, i'm dying to hear what what shelly says as well um i i it's, here's here's all i'll say right because i took you know i i i ranted plenty in the episode so i, I don't i would feel guilty taking up a lot of time no here. please people want to hear from you and people wanted to hear more from you in the in the context of the free clip at least that we put up on youtube so shoot your shot Okay, well, you know, in the vein of um, the kinds of how you were you were pushing us on the episode, right, to, you know, really get down to brass tacks and say, like, you know, let's have some actionable uh, items here. Like, let's actually talk strategy about this. And so that is the vein in which I'm going to kind of say my little spiel here. And I guess, like, the nature of the spiel won't surprise anyone. But I'm going to start with an example that we've all been hearing about. Amazon, mm-hmm. put put yourself in the place of Christian Smalls when he was fired for protesting Amazon's COVID policies two years ago, standing out when the world itself seemed to be breaking apart, feeling imperially alone outside of a massive facility uh, that belongs to the second largest private employer in the United States, one of the most powerful companies in the world, the the thought of trying to fight Amazon on its own terms to rectify that injustice mm. and to to beat Jeff Bezos, like we're talking about beating Tucker Carlson, the thought of Christian Smalls doing that on his own is as is as impossible as you know running to the moon and back. Right? It's not going to happen. Mm. And so I think that's the thing I want to stress here at the beginning. Is there are a lot of instructive examples that show us that this is possible. We can win this, but mm-hmm. not if we play on the rigged rules of a rigged game that we have been shut out of for a long yeah. time. And so with Amazon, that is what the workers realized. Christian Smalls did not do it himself, right? Mm-hmm. He, he found camaraderie and solidarity and strength in the likes of Derek Palmer, Jordan Flowers, Angelica Maldonado, Karen Ponce, Connor Spence. Michelle Valentin Nieves and countless others who helped to do that work to have conversations with their co-workers and ultimately achieve what many thought was impossible, including Jeff fucking Bezos. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. Right. And so I say this by way of saying that this is also a media example, right? Because of that collective effort, you know, uh, Christian Smalls didn't say like, you know what, I'm going to go in my garage and I'm going to try to emulate this, this kind of mythological path to um, stardom and, and, and power that Jeff Bezos himself followed, you know, to become this, you know, one of the world's richest people uh, and the richest person in, in human history. I'm not going to try to kind of do a startup that can outflank Amazon and beat it on its own terms. That is impossible given the nature of the system that we live in. What I can do is like use what we always had. What I said in the episode, we have numbers. There are more of us than there are of them. Tucker isn't special. Tucker, as I, as we said in, in the episode, is is really good at what he does, but he also has the benefit of sitting atop one of the most massively well-funded, well-coordinated, well-organized media organizations in the world. Yeah, you can you can like do a lot of damage if you occupy that seat. But here's the but we also like we understand that in other realms of our lives. We ever understand that in terms of the larger political economy that we inhabit. We look at those high-rise buildings. We look at the billionaires and the elites in this country. And I think we have collectively realized over the course of your my lifetime, Brie, that you know what? They don't actually deserve to be there. Or if they got there, it's not because they're somehow superhumanly better or more interesting or more skilled than we are. Whatever fuckers like uh, Elon Musk try to tell you, that's not the case. It statistically cannot be the case when you live in a world with billions and billions of people. And so we understand that rich people at the top of an unjust and unequal society did not necessarily get there because they deserve it. Yet we need to apply that same kind of uh, principle to people who dominate the media uh, that we consume. <laughs> you know, that's not necessarily because they're the best people to occupy. This or the most unbeatable. They've been the most lucky. They've been the most privileged. They've also there, there are a number of different reasons why any one person ended up there. But it's not because you they are better than you. And so I need people listening to understand that. Tucker is not better than you. We can beat him, but we can't do it on our own. We can do it together. We can do it with powerful allies, with powerful voices and powerful platforms like Brianna is doing here and as she's doing uh, on the rest of the amazing uh, shows that, that she's doing. And so we can win this, like I said, but not by playing that sort of rigged game because once Amazon Labor Union did the impossible, what did you see? Suddenly, Amazon workers were in Congress testifying in front of Congress. It, it, Christian Smalls went on Tucker. I got called up to, to be on PBS, for God's sakes, to talk about the Amazon labor union. So it, it rises. A rising tide lifts all boats, which is why we in the media need to return the favor and support the people doing the work, because the more that they succeed, the more that we collectively but, change but the Max, narrative. But Max, this is this is the issue. I really resist the idea, and I said this on the show too. It's not about Tucker. I want everyone like Tucker is a stand-in. We are all in agreement here. Let's say that Tucker's a stand-in for a broader right-wing infrastructure that has played done exactly what you're describing in terms of having a longer, you know, uh, movement over a series of decades that touches a large number of people, and it is as a result of a co collaboration between not grassroots on their part, but any number of interest groups, the, the Christian right, uh, you know, um, Heritage Foundation, all of them have been very purposefully plotting the takeover of corporate news, the whole Powell memo plan. And it has 
a cult it has aggregated it has um this is the apotheosis of it that we're seeing now and and tucker carlson isn't actually just someone who's been plopped at the top of that infrastructure he's someone who had to climb his way up out of the bottom because he is not on script he has in some ways invented his own script and one that is very effective that is now being appropriated by everybody else in the sphere but i think it's worth studying how he's able to do that for two reasons one, because the things that come out of our mouths can be weaponized by him if we're not careful. And that is not to say that we, like, again, as we're talking about the show, I'm, I'm, I am like really, you know, feeling some mixed feelings about the extent to which that I think that the left, including myself, has at times ignored important issues and constituencies because we've been so afraid of how it's going to be heard by the other side. But also, I think we have to be strategic in our approach. And I think there is something to be learned from Tucker Carlson and Donald Trump and the people who've realized that by going on the offensive and not being apologetic, they don't lose. And so I would like to, you know, continue to have a strategic conversation about one, how to draw the audience in, in a, in a, in a media environment, which is cluttered and where people don't have time and no one's watching TV and everyone's decoupling and turning off. Why is it that he is able to capture the universe's attention you know, and we talked about that at the top of the show. I think that he names an enemy and he is unflinching, that he has credibility from criticizing other Republicans and all of those other kinds of things. But most importantly, um, how to make our ideas, how to frame our ideas in a way that, are, that it cannot be exploited and that we are more attractive than him in the way that he is attractive in terms of being real populist instead of faux populist. And I do think, you know, I think there was something to be learned specifically from watching that show and listening to what people like who listen to that show. When you say we can do it together, I mean like, yeah, totally. But Max, we're not, <laughs> you know, more than anybody, how difficult it is to get people to click on certain kinds of videos and listen to certain kind of content, you know, more than anybody, how divided the left media sphere has been over the course of the last two years since the Bernie campaign ended and how much infighting there is. It's driven in part because of all of the, the fighting over, audience shares and YouTube clicks and, you know, beef sells and all of this stuff. So like, I mean, I, I'm, I hear you and I, but I also want to be again, specific about what some of this stuff means, because I think we all agree in theory, the idea that we we have the power to do things differently. We have the power to win. We wouldn't be here if we didn't think that we have the power to win. But the question is how, and what can we learn from, frankly, organizationally, the right, in terms of how to insulate ourselves from our messaging being co-opted and also how to beat them at that game? Yeah, no, I think that's that's uh, well put. And two things I'll say, and then I will cede the floor, is um, you know, the first spiel that I went on is really, I think, addressed to everyone here. You know, I say it on my show often, no one has to do everything, but everyone can do something. Mm -hmm. And what I meant by kind of highlighting the Amazon example is that they forced into a, a, a media environment that gets to dictate, you know, what the news cycle is. They forced the story into the news cycle. And then suddenly mainstream outlets were looking for people who have been covering that. So mm -hmm. it can change very quickly. Um, but it, uh, to your point, that's not going to do everything. We have to fight on many fronts here. And I think that, yeah, your your job, Bree, is, is um, very difficult as someone who's kind of in that spotlight and trying to be um, beholden to the that movement and that that push for progress and so on and so forth. And so here's the, the one thing I would say that I've learned from Tucker at all. 
right, is um, I think Ailes getting ousted was a huge boon for Tucker because the re- Fox News I grew up with was much more beholden to the Republican Party than it is now. With Ailes gone, that gave Tucker more of a space to carve out as a sort of nonpartisan, quote unquote, or at least not a party hack. And to his credit and to Fox's credit, like Fox disciplines politicians in a way that almost no other network can do, including mm-hmm. Republican politicians. And I think that that one of the ways that they're able to do that, and Tucker specifically, is by, yeah, speaking less to uh, and justifying the party line and, and stoking and speaking to the resentments and hatreds and very real senses of pain and injustice that people are feeling. So if you, again, have that sort of, I'm not, I'm not speaking out of two sides of my mouth because I'm ultimately trying to launder this or that, you know, party elites talking point and make Mm -hmm. it seem populist, you already have a leg up there. Now, on top of that, like you said, name the enemy and be very clear about how these types of um, side arguments that we get swept up in show how they are part of a larger historical project by which the ruling class has always gotten us to attack each other instead of keeping our eyes on the prize. And the other thing is that the way we talk about our values, it's muddled because the elite pieces of shit on the so-called democratic left have co-opted them. And thus we're trying, like we talked about this in the episode, T mentioned this. It's almost like we're in a tug of war to uh, over these same terms, but I think it's worth people recognizing why have the elites embraced the language of equality and diversity in the first place? We all know why, because it is Mm -hmm. a way to feel more just and righteous than the right without actually doing anything to address the economic structures that are fucking all of us over that lead to permanent war, so on and so forth. So I think I really meant what I said on that, that we kind of have to stop trying to be on the same side as these kind of democratic party elites and liberal media elites and so on and so forth we Mm -hmm. need to actually go at them and say like you're you're like you are only using this as window dressing to justify your ruling class serving project we need to put these terms in different frames which is why i always go back to the labor movement i talked about this on crystal ball and kyle kalinsky's show a while back where i said you know the labor movement gives me a lot of hope because they are actually it has a shit ton of problems and the labor union density is at record low so i'm not saying we don't have a lot of problems there but i am saying i see hopeful signs in the movement because they are solving problems that seem unsolvable in the realm of electoral politics. If you go to a union organizer, they will tell you, you know, whether or not we're inclusive of LGBTQ workers is not a divisive issue. It's not a culture war issue. It's like we have trans people on our shop floor. And if we Mm -hmm. like throw them under the bus, we're going to lose when the boss comes to the bargaining table or we are going, the labor movement is going to die if it does not find out how in the 21st century in a more diverse United States than it has ever existed in, if it does not figure out how to grow and appeal to that population, to bring in new blood, to bring in new ideas and youthful and young workers and stuff like that, the movement will die. And that is why workers from different sides of the political spectrum actually are recognizing that and coming together and solving those problems. So we can reframe that if we make it clear, you're not on our side, you elite pieces of shit. And like here is like the actual kind of way that we can overcome these differences if the goal is not just winning an election every two years. I see my time. Thank you so much for doing this, Brie. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much, Maximilian. And people should feel free to ask Max direct questions as well when you talk. I'm so glad he is here as a resource. Feel free to dip whenever you want. 
don't feel compelled to stay, Max, but we appreciate your presence. Shelly, you are up. Unmute yourself. What's on your mind? Hi, Brie. I actually, the only reason why I called in is because with all of the technical issues that were happening, I was hoping to cede my time to someone that I noticed that had already like called in and was in the queue in the first try. And the only one that I can absolutely verify is Bide. So I was hoping to cede my time to Bide. Um, all right, Bide, it's your lucky but, day. Hold on, hold on. I okay. will have to say, Max, we're old friends. Um, you should, you have my number. Call me sometime. All right. Bye. Take the stage. Will do. (laughs) Okay. Glad to help you guys reconnect. I I think I also saw Owen up front. So Owen, don't fret. I'll make sure to get to you. But Bide, what's in your mind this evening? Uh, I'm glad I'm friends with Shelly. Probably number one. Um, Yeah, there's not there's not too much actually that I have to to add. I mean, I think. I mean, full disclosure, I tend to be with Max on this one. I think that it the the problem with me with Tucker Carlson narratives and the the discussions about what should we do with it is that it sort of it has baked into it this this um I don't know, like a like a logic that if somehow we counter directly on the narrative push that they're putting out there that they're not going to find some other dumb shit that doesn't matter to spin that into a new controversy that shouldn't matter and try to get us to have that conversation again on grounds where, again, we're not going to be able to make any sort of uh, ends with. Because well, but I don't think that's the argument that's being made. I think it's quite the opposite. The argument that's being made is that you cannot confront them on their dumb shit and so that you need to take have an affirmative case that you're making the same way that they make an affirmative case. Not that we need to, I mean, it's exactly what I've been saying is exactly the opposite of what you described, not to keep fighting them on CRT and stuff, but to make sure our affirmative different case about the issues that matter are airtight. Well, if it's about an affirmative case on issues that matter, because I've, I've been getting a little confused from this a little bit, because I think I, I thought that that was kind of more the argument that you were making, but it. I don't see why Tucker Carlson plays a part in that, I guess, right? Because by not making that affirmative case, you're giving him fodder nonstop. The liberals are going on TV nonstop, engaging on the merits of CRT, just like some you know, some folks in this chat were kind of trying to engage about, well, CRT is really X, Y, and Z. I think that there are ways that we can talk about stuff that doesn't open up open ourselves up to being exploited in those ways, and that matters. I don't think, you know... If I have to give up my white tears mug in order to prevent some book burning rule going into effect, you know what? I really don't give a shit about the white tears mug. You know, I'd rather be throwing the white tears mug under the bus than pregnant trans men. Do you know what I'm saying? That, yeah, that, that, I, I that's, that's yeah. the point. I, and yeah, my, I my frustration that. is, you know, because Martin Luther King has talked about in this neutered way that he is, because we've allowed like that colorblind quote to be taken out of context, because we've de-emphasized King's class struggle and his affinity for democratic socialism and Marxism, it's for all of those reasons that Tucker Carlson can get away with like posting quotes about he's not the racist, we are the real racist ones. And so I do think that there's an extent to which you got to clean up your own language, you got to clean up your own backyard the backyard that the liberals have must through and be clear about what we stand for. 
Yeah, I get that. I get when, first of all, um, don't throw away your white tears mug. You can just give it to me. I, will, I don't uh, have one. I never went in for that sort of a thing. <laughs> but I, you know, I know people with them. You know, they're very common. I did ironically buy a uh, I'm speaking shirt from Kamala Harris and wore it around. But people thought I was serious. And I, I've never felt more embarrassed in my entire life. <laughs> went out in that shirt. Uh, I thought people would get it. Apparently, I'm way too much in these uh, of people who who don't have my politics. But uh, yeah, my mom really liked that shirt. Uh, what was I? Talk- yeah, the I, I think the cleaning up the backyard part is where I get a little confused because if that that to me sounds a lot like engaging them on the merits of their own claims. And I think you made a good case about how you approached some of these issues with Charlie Kirk, right? I think to the extent that there needs to be cleaning done, putting them on the back foot and making them actually define their positions, define, mm-hmm. you know, what do you mean by that mm-hmm. is a really good way to go about it. Like actually mm-hmm. make them put a stake in the ground as to, you know, whatever the hell it is that they're saying about a lot of this, you know, bullshit nonsense. Um, but I, I really wouldn't go. I want to go further than that, honestly, of, of people that I would be really interested to hear what they have to say, because I, I, I mean, I, look, I'm, I've always been pretty. I've also fallen into the camp of saying, oh, the culture war doesn't matter at all. And then forgetting that. But it affects real people. So how do you actually engage with that in a way to where you you push back and you don't just cede this ground to the people who are your allies and who need your support? Um you know, how you don't just leave them out in the cold. But I, I would really be interested in what Rika would have to say about this, too, just because uh, she's been really good on getting me to rethink the way that you would engage in a culture war. And she's like a union organizer. So she probably knows a lot more than what, you know, of how to get solidarity among people who would be otherwise susceptible to this kind of this kind of messaging. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. Well, but, thank Thank you, Bide. I appreciate you calling in. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, Max, if you want to respond to that, go ahead. But Christopher, you are up next and meet yourself when you're ready. Bree? Hey, Christopher. What's on your mind this evening? Hey, um, I think um, this is kind of relating to what you were talking about earlier. Um, I feel like, like the biggest issue for leftists is that we don't, like, I feel like we don't often articulate our policies enough. I think we need to find a way to make policy advocating in general sexy, mm-hmm. but also be willing to like, when we do get chances to go, and I, I know that it's controversial with some people, but if you do get a chance to go on to like Tucker and other outlets like that, be able to like out argue them. Because I do think it is important to kind of call out, stupid arguments or, or stupid positions that ultimately like make no sense. Yeah. And and look, th- that's the thing. Like I, I hear everyone saying like the re- rhetoric doesn't matter, yada, yada, yada. And that is completely fine. If you feel that way, I totally respect that. My job happens to be communications. So like if your generalized position is that words don't matter, like I completely appreciate that. But if I were a potter and you just came in and were like, Clay's bullshit, like, all due respect, just leave my pottery shop. Like, you don't have to be here. This is what we're talking about because this is my wheelhouse. 
Like, and I don't go into some, you know, organizers chat and be like, actually, you just got to have better like grammar on your flyers. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, I think that all of these things work in tandem. I think that all of these things are useful and I can't, I can't watch. I'm sorry. Like I can't watch how effective a certain kind of messaging has been despite pushback from the very well-financed right-wing establishment. Remember, I think it's notable that Donald Trump and Tucker Carlson were not the chosen ones here, that they, they were able to break through and, uh, frankly, have, have elected officials like Ted Cruz bending the knee to them on their program. Ted Cruz had to go and uh, cuck himself before Tucker Carlson and apologize for calling the insurrectionists terrorists. Because Tucker right. Carlson is more powerful than a, you know, a Congress member from Texas. Like, like that's where we are. So I feel like, like I understand people have a difference of opinion on that, but I'm not going to be swayed on that. And there's no point debating me on whether or not I think that rhetoric matters. I think it quite obviously does. To what degree, more or less than other things, it's not a relativistic conversation. It matters. And I see us being hurt by people who don't think it matters saying dumb shit that then get, I have to clean up. <laughs> that I then have to spend my whole life arguing about because they didn't think things through or they didn't educate themselves before they entered into a conversation or they talked self-righteously about racism and injustice and white supremacy when they don't know what any of those words mean or how to substantiate their claims. So they ended up getting embarrassed and putting some YouTube video called Charlie Kirk owns lib. And then there's like millions of people who watch it and think that the liberals don't have an argument when in fact it's just that an argument wasn't made, you know? Right. Well, I, I just, I mean, I, I completely agree. Like, I'm not saying rhetoric doesn't matter. It, it completely matters. But I do think it is, I mean, it's important at least for some of us to be able to effectively communicate our positions with right-leaning people like Tucker's audience. But if I can just give a quick example and then I'll mm-hmm. exceed my time. But I think like, we talk about immigration, especially like with um, relation to um, undocumented immigrants. I've never like I, I, I've yet to hear a strong right wing argument why we shouldn't do that. Like, like, like that to me, that's the only option we have. Like the only other option is to have some sort of like Gestapo as policy where we are having ICE come and escort these people out of the country. Not to mention, like, the economic ramifications that would come with doing something like that. But, like, I never hear substantive pushback on a lot of the policies that they advocate. And I think that when we don't engage substantively, it it gives arguments that really shouldn't have power. power. Even, like, with the pro-life movement, and I don't mean to simplify this for anybody who's pro-life, but if your sole focus is a fetus or a woman pregnant, how is that life? Life is all encompassing. And it just seems to me that people on the left have a, they don't do a good job of like dominating the argument or, or like, like, I don't know. I just, it just seemed, I hope I'm making sense, but it just seems like, yeah, no, look, I, I'm not like, I don't have a million, a million zillion dollars of research funds behind me. If I did, I'd be testing the following out. I'd be testing out a message like, you want to return the law to the states? Well, Mississippi had a 50, allowed abortions up to 15 weeks. Why is the Supreme Court trying to invalidate the Mississippi legislature's choice to permit abortions after 15 weeks? 
I don't know. There's an argument. Right. You know, I, I'd be interested to see an argument. Okay. You know, all of these libertarians who say that we're like really aggressive about mask mandates. I like to see different mess, different messages tested about, you know, you know, they, they, they're saying this stuff to us, right? They're saying, Oh, you care. You, you suddenly you care about bodily autonomy. Where were you on the mask? I don't know where everyone else was on the mask. Right. I'm still wearing a mask because I don't know about you, but these hospitalization rates are up in New York and I'm not playing around, but I have never been a mask mandate person. So don't come for me. I'm being consistent. I would like to see that argument flip back on them, you know, affirmatively, not waiting till you hear it from them, but affirmatively say Republicans, conservatives, libertarians have been very vocal about their feeling that, uh, that bodily autonomy needs to be protected in the course of the COVID pandemic. Now, I would be putting super cuts together, showing people who did not, who give, give zero Fs about abortion, but who had all of these thoughts and feelings about mask mandates. I don't know how that plays. I would just like to see it tested out. I would like to see, and I've been doing this, and I would love to see other people do it. I know Max does stuff like this all the time. I would like to see completely separate and apart from any conversation about CRT, a full blown, well-financed attack of slate of commercials showing that the people of Florida democratically voted for a $15 minimum wage and it won on the ballot right. in 2020. And these are all the resources that have been put into trying to undermine that effort. When I was putting together my radar on this last week, I saw a bunch of stuff that I couldn't get in about how there were all of these funds for housing, which is a huge issue in Florida, that had right. been stripped out of the housing budget, uh, stripped out of the municipal budget and like reallocated to like policing or something else that had no effect. And some of it I think was even like corporate giveaways, like you know business giveaways. And like no one's talking about that. Like you can have a conversation about that that forces them to respond and not be using that airtime on CRT. And if you want to add a by the way, by the way, they're they're only talking about CRT to distract you from this, go ahead and throw that in at the end. But like all of this stuff is like right there. And 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 I mean this is the point Max makes so beautifully that so much of this stuff becomes a moot point. And so much of the credibility that Tucker Carlson gets from, yes, rightly calling out war spending and the like, it doesn't matter as much. He doesn't start. He doesn't seem like such a hero when he's not the only one doing it because there was a, a like a, a full throated left doing it as well. Now, we have some sexual barriers to that because we're never going to have someone on MSNBC saying that the way that Tucker managed to be a person on Fox saying that. You know, exactly, maybe it could yeah. be, maybe we can get like Mehdi Hassan, like, like goes full lefty and like, <laughs> you know, God bless him. He's doing better than everybody else in the channel. So I want to give him his props, but like, you know, it, it could happen. And maybe he would be so popular that MSNBC wouldn't be able to keep him down. And he could be like forces way onto the main stage the way that Tucker Carlson did. It could happen. Or you can get people who are independent. The Glenn Greenwald of the world are independent. The Breaking points of the world are independent and they are able to get a certain amount of traction. Russell Brand, Joe Rogan, there can be a left version of that that might emerge and have that kind of Joe Rogan level influence where you don't need MSNBC. It's possible too. But I think we have to, we, we have to be more thoughtful. Like here, here's the thing that kills me about comms. The other side is planning stuff out. They are testing messages. They are plotting. They are putting time, effort, and energy. They are writing scripts out like they're Hollywood screenwriters. Like they understand 
that good messaging takes work. I feel like people on the left are so disrespectful of messaging that they don't think about anything until they're literally sitting in front of their opponent who is prepared and they aren't. And it makes me crazy. No, I like no one respects the work, you know, <laughs> it just makes me crazy. <sighs> I'm sorry, Christopher, I've been ranting and I feel like I didn't let you express yourself. No, uh, that was it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I appreciate you calling in. All right. Thank you. All right. Grace, you're up next. What's on your mind? Hey, Bree. Um, I just want to say that I, um, and with you, like a jillion percent on the everything is white supremacy. <laughs> um, and that is the move to just say that. Um, and obviously there with a caveat of there's levels to this shit. Um, um, I don't know. That's the way that I, I don't avoid using that. And obviously I'm not going to like start off with someone I'm like having a one-on-one con- one-on-one conversation with of like, where I don't go in with my family like oh you raised me in white supremacy you know what I mean I don't that's yeah (laughs) that's not the move that I go to um but I do think we have to name it and like these people he's I mean Tucker's feeding extremists obviously um and I listened to uh Terry Gross did a um a fresh air or Actually, I'm like, was Terry the interviewer or David being Cooley? But on Fresh Air, there was an episode about the um, the piece that your show is on. I don't know if mm-hmm. you've heard of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just started, like, yelling at it in the middle of it as I'm doing a lot more with NPR lately. Um, because, what did she say? Well, I mean, because the piece I think that they're missing, they were interviewing the author of the piece. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like the piece that's missing from it is that is that Tucker is starting with like a real truth, like, like mm-hmm. you were saying the grievances. Mm-hmm. So I feel like maybe, and, and I thank you so much for like, you make me think about messaging all the time as I operate in the world. And um, I think that, I think you can almost say like, yes, yes. And to like a certain degree to some of the things he starts with. Um, yeah. And, and maybe that's where, you know, I mean, they're, they're, they're just attributing it to the wrong, um, you know, it's the wrong cause. I mean, they're, they're, and that is how white supremacy has always functioned is to, to create class divides too. And now they're taking, and that's why nothing ever works out. You know, like you were saying, poor white people, um, are also suffering as a result. And then because they are playing into white supremacy, they're just shooting them themselves in the foot as well. Yeah. Um, Do you know what's so powerful that I've discovered? I mean, that sounds obnoxious, but like many people have discovered. What? I, I, I find that if I say something like, I care deeply about poor white people. I care, yeah. I care deeply about white people. Like people don't know what to say. And and that, that, that in and of itself is a double, it exposes something, right? Like it exposes something that's not great about liberals. It it exposes the extent to which there's a sliver of truth in the Tucker Carlson-esque message that says liberals have internalized white people as the enemy. There's a sliver of truth to that. There, there is a, there is a, a sliver of the public 
that does the same thing the right does when there's like a Pulse nightclub shooting or, you know, a hurricane that hits a black part of town and says, this is what God has, God has sent these things to punish you for your sinfulness and all that. Like we always see those tweets. There's a version of that tweet that liberals do when something bad happens in Texas, when the power went off over the winter and those people were freezing in their homes. It says, this is what you got for voting for X, Y, and Z person, even though obviously there are plenty of Democrats that live in Texas. And most people don't vote in all those kinds of things. And also Republicans don't deserve to freeze to death in their homes just because they're Republican. You know, so I, I think that even that the fact that it feels almost like a transgression to say I care, especially as a black person, like the optics of the I care about the well-being of poor white people, the expectation is so in the other direction. That is, feels like a shocking statement. And it's a real indictment, frankly, of the discourse that that kind of a statement feels shocking. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, and I think that the the liberals are just as guilty of using. I mean, I think we can say two things at once that liberals are using identity politics to do a hell of a lot of nothing for anybody. And that is also white supremacy. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Let me like take a note of that real quick because I might make it into a radar. I mean, and that's like, I mean, I don't know. That's just where I'm at in my deep, like, I I just said to somebody today, I was like, I feel like for me, liberals are actually the end up being the furthest. Like, I don't know how to get to them because they sound so much like me mm-hmm. um, on like a very surface level, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then on this other level, um, I mean, they're actually against everything that I'm for. Um, so, and, and, and yeah. And so I think... Um, I think that Tucker Carlson's audience could be got, I guess, if there were somebody about riling people up. I mean, you know, um, right. like non-white people and, you know, women or whatever. I mean, the, the what was the one I was listening to for, um, I mean, they just, this idea, oh, I was listening to a thing that he was saying about, um, about the textbooks in Florida. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the social emotional development and they're like, basically like, let's not make kids into little bitches, you know, like that's the, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's the like overall messaging of what they're doing with that. Um, but I mean, I think you talk about like how our kids are really suffering, um, in schools right now, you know, that cuts across all the different lines. Yeah. It's so interesting. Like chatting with, you know, Robbie on rising, you know, he's, you know, he, and like a lot of other people are, are very invested in the kind of, you know, the effects that school closures and mask wearing have had on, and on kids. And so of course, of course that's true, right? Every, everything has an effect on everybody and suicide rates are up and all that stuff. And that's real. So we'll do, we'll have a story that's on suicide rates being up and the political context that he'll put it in is, you know, that we shouldn't have had to, had done shutdowns. If I offer, well, so for one, I don't love that we're calling this thing a shutdown when we never really shut down in mm-hmm. comparison to something like what China did rightly or wrongly, whatever you feel about what they're doing. There's a world of difference and conflating the two, I think is a little irresponsible. Second of all, it's totally okay to be upset about the consequences of the shutdown, but it, I would trust the conversation more if you put it in context of what the consequences would be if we didn't close schools, especially before we had the vaccines out, you know? So like there's obviously we're weighing 
two bad outcomes and trying to figure out which one was going to be worse. Can there be an acknowledgement of that fact, even if you still think that shutdowns were the wrong way to go, that would help me trust it more. You know, there's this way that I'm trying to find a way to acknowledge the legitimacy of the concern about like spiking suicide rates and offering an alternative suggestion to not doing anything at all. You know, was the answer that we should have had a, a harsher shutdown for a shorter period of time so that it would have actually prevented the virus from spreading the way that some of the smaller island nations were able to do. If that was completely impossible, should we have had more mental health support offered as part of, I don't know, a universal healthcare system? You know, would it have had fewer uh, mental health problems if we had allowed parents to stay home with their kids and be around more instead of forcing certain sectors back into work, especially lower income working class jobs? You know, would it have been more helpful if we had an open school but had sent high quality masks to every house and actually mandated that kids like stay inside? Could we have had better ventilation, funded a mass ventilation system where like the air quality was improved in school so we could have reopened? Like, but like no one is, and I, I would love it if there was like a think tank somewhere working through like, okay, there's a legitimate issue here. Parents are pissed off. They weren't supported and people are going to politicize this. But without an affirmative, positive outlet for this, an affirmative thing to do, then we're stuck with this like dumbass solution that is obviously bad. It's the same with the, the FDA stuff. Like, I'm not going to sit here and live and die on the integrity of the FDA. The FDA is is, is flawed, just like every institution. That's why we talk about structural stuff. Every institution is flawed. Nothing is perfect. Everything needs to be improved. Totally. But saying. Baby formula isn't available because the FDA mandated recall and the FDA didn't catch it soon enough. So we should get rid of the FDA is obviously stupid. I'm sorry. Like it obviously is not a solution to anything. <laughs> just drink tainted milk. Yeah. There's never going to be milk at a milk outage. If we all just drink tainted milk and more babies die. Like, come on. So the, the, the answer to a lot of these things is like, People with other kinds of ideologies have a ready-made solution that fits their ideological project. The left largely does. We have our Medicare for Alls and our $15 minimum wage and our UBIs and our solutions to the social ills that we have out there. But the problem is that the liberals won't accept any of those solutions, so they're stuck sitting around saying oh, racism is the culprit, even when it's not. Or Putin is the culprit, even when he's not. And that's why we have this runaway discourse about inflation that's going to ruin Joe Biden and the Democrats in the midterms because they have an explanation for inflation, which is spending, even though there hasn't really been any. <laughs> and, we, and the alternative for inflation, which is that we've sent our jobs overseas. We have su supply chain crisis because of COVID and we can't ship things in from China because it's shut down to save a buck. CEOs have diminished our local storage capacity on this side of the pond so that we're not keeping things on stock and on hand because it costs money to store things that aren't being used. So the supply chains are more vulnerable to any kind of inflection. Like the, you know, the fact that we don't just produce things here at home in the first instance, all of these things are not part of the conversation, much less MMT and the fact that we could be solving some of this stuff by just, you know, inflation wouldn't be caused by spending money in the economy that actually got spent on jobs that need to be done, like building infrastructure and stuff. So of course, like we spent too much is going to be the prevailing narrative. What's the other, what's the alternative? I mean, we're, but we're in, I mean, I feel like we're in this crucial moment where, I mean, it's all, yeah, it's going to, 
I think it has to get worse before it gets better. I hate to say it, but, um, you know, I mean, obviously it's really, it's really bad right now. (laughs) Um, but I mean, it has, I think I'm very concerned that we're missing the message that like, and you can push back, you know, um, because I feel like every single place where, um, every single place where we're seeing the kind of backlash that's going on is an, is just a sign of progress also. Like that's why they're so much of this right now. It's, it's a natural backlash. It's, it's inevitable to maintain this existing system. But um, did you want, I highly recommend watching John Oliver's abortion um, episode And it's the first time I have seen a mainstream, I mean, I consider John Oliver pretty mainstream, um, but a mainstream person talking about like true resistance. And he Mm. is just like, he is like, I understand why you don't want to just be told to vote again. Um, And then he basically says you have to do disruption for this to change. And he ends the episode showing a picture of somebody wearing a knitted ACAB um, face mask mm-hmm. and is like, you need to have this kind of commitment. Mm-hmm. Okay. I will, I will definitely check it out for sure. <laughs> and, I was, and I was like, damn. Um, so, I mean, I'm really thankful for that. I think that um, I really think that the alternative is, is just to agree with them where there is agreement when it comes to Tucker's people. And he absolutely, um, is responsible. I mean, these, these, I'm living in the South, man, there it's, um, the white supremacist groups, like the official white supremacist groups go hard here. Um, and, and there it's only getting, yeah. And people like him are only making it worse. Um, yeah. One other thing I'll say before we move on and thank you so much as always, Grace, your comments are always very thoughtful and I enjoy hearing from you. But I was just while you were talking, I was thinking about the power of just saying what you believe. Like one we talked about is asking people what they think and asking them to define their positions and defend their positions and not always being just the one answering questions, but also the power of just stating what you believe in a common sense way. So Republicans will say that or conservatives will say things like, um, what we're supposed to just give money to everybody. You know, they like to ask the sarcastic question. Mm-hmm. Um, in a way that makes it seem like absurd. There's a world where we're saying things like, yeah, I think that we should treat people with kindness and respect. You know? Yeah. I think that if people are too poor to eat, we should give them food. Yeah. I think that in the richest country in the history of the world, no child should go hungry in America. Yeah. I think that if you work 40 hours a week, you should be able to afford an apartment a place to live. And if that sounds familiar, it kind of sounds like the way like Bernie used to talk. Excuse me, but I happen to believe in the richest <laughs> country in the history of the world. We shouldn't have 500,000 homeless people. You know, that's sort of a thing. And I was thinking about a, a hypothetical conversation with Tucker Carlson. That's kind of based on my, not that I'm not at all conflating my, you know, co-host Robbie with Tucker Carlson at all, at all. I'm not saying that. And, and I really appreciate his answer when I asked him this. But, you know, to say, well, wh- how, what would you say to the trans person? The pregnant trans person, like, what do you, what would you call them? 
I, 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 I would just the say, words birthing people. I just want to say that I have, I say birthing people. So that was good. Bad. We're all saying it now. Now I can't get it out of my head. I wake up in the morning. My alarm clock is just blaring internally birthing people. <laughs> Cause it's the, it's the, it's front of mind now. But you know, like to say, Oh, I, I, I don't, you know, I don't have a problem saying birthing person. I don't have a problem addressing someone by their pronouns because then it forces them to say what I don't, I don't, I, I don't want to treat someone with respect. I don't want to use their preferred pronouns. And then they have to justify why. And they seem really petty and stupid, but they're never in that position. They say, isn't it dumb that this person did that? They never have to opine on what their own behavior is. You know what I mean? And I, and I'm just reflecting on how obvious that is. And it seems like it's right there. And we never, like, it's so difficult when you're in a debate with someone to like take a breath and do that. I had a really successful one the other day. Um, I usually don't talk to people on the internet, but we had a (laughs) a school resource officer um, who assaulted a fifth grader at a local Mm. elementary school. Mm. And I posted a local page because I didn't see it getting shared very much. And I just said, I don't think we should have police officers in our schools, basically. Um, And one of the... um, like a parent was on there saying like, I, I, I had sent my kid to a school without a school resource officer and there was all this bullying, blah, blah, blah. And then I moved him to another school and I said, you know, I basically said, do you think that having someone who has a weapon and has the power to arrest children at school was like the difference there, Mm. (laughs) Um, more or less? I mean, we went back and forth for a little bit and then I just said, you know, like I care about I think what you're saying is you care about kids' safety, you care about having support systems for your kids. All of that makes like all the sense in the world. I just don't think that this person maybe is the necessary tool. And that doesn't even mean that that individual, you know, isn't good at doing that job. It just means that um, that they don't need to also be able to arrest children and have a gun. Um, and I feel like, you know, if you can figure out where that root value issue is, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, and I can really see th- and I can, but I can see it. I can hear it when I listen to Tucker. I, I can like, I'll be like, oh, and that's what will kill me. Episode. I was like, oh, especially around Putin. I'm like, shit, I'm like agreeing with him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's the other big issue. That's the other big problem is that like so many people in the comments of the videos and stuff from today were like, oh, well, you're not, you're not crediting enough that so much of his content isn't about any of this inflammatory stuff. And he's just saying the right thing about war and Putin and Russia and all that. And it's like, I'm happy to credit. Like, I, I totally understand that that's the appeal. Like, well, but we're not talking about that because I agree with is, is still replacement theory. I mean, sure. But the, but the, the reason I'm not talking about that is because I agree with it. Not because I feel like squicky about admitting it. Cause there are definitely people who don't even want to give him like don't, don't want to even acknowledge that that's part of his appeal. I'm not that person. The only reason I'm not focused on it is because like, obviously I talk about that all the time. Like we are all saying that same stuff all the time. And I, you know, and I, I hear you saying that it's in bad faith or whatever, but like, again, that's kind of beside the point. You know, people, if people are attracted to him for those reasons, it's like saying Trump was lying about TPP and how he was going to, okay, right. Like politicians lie. Everyone's lying, but his lies are better than the next person's lies. And I'm not mad at someone for thinking that sounded better than everything is fine already. And also it's my turn, <laughs> you know? Yeah, definitely. Anyway, thank, thank you, you guys. I want to get to Owen because I want to wrap it two hours, but um, I appreciate Have you. Have a good night. You too. 
Owen, I believe you were first in line before the great um, technical issues of May 16, 2022. (laughs) (laughs) So shoot your shot. I wanted to make sure we got through enough people to get to you. I got you. I was, I will admit, I was not first in line. I was just in line. But uh, I just wanted to ask you, are you good? Are, are, you, are you good? You know what? I don't know, man. No, I'm fine. <laughs> I'm fine. I was just so frustrated because the first time I started this, I was like so perky. I was on a roll. I got my nails done. I'm ready for a week on rising. Like I was feeling like in my zone. And then I was talking to myself. I was, I was giving you guys great content. I was summarizing the shit out of this episode. I was making jokes. And when I realized it wasn't coming through, I just felt like boo-boo the fool. And then I did it again. (laughs) And at that point, I just felt like I wasted all of my charm. I didn't have any left. (laughs) But I'm fine. How are you doing, Owen? I'm all right. Um, I guess a a good episode. But I just wanted to ask you, why was the panel on today's posted episode all black instead of all white? So it was two black guys and a latino oh, okay uh max is latino uh i asked i would like to say like i always do i asked two women and two men initially to come on the show both women declined both men said yes one man then dropped off and i sent out two more inquiry emails and both of those said yes and so that's how we ended it with the panelists we had today I did specifically that I was uh, was joking with uh, the producer. I was like, oh, well, yeah, we need a white, we need a white guest. And he was like, no one has ever, that's the first time anybody's ever said this. <laughs> we need a white guest to talk about Tucker Carlson. And that was one of the people who had to drop out. So that's what it is. I strongly encourage uh, any women and people who don't identify as men in the audience who are asked to go on podcasts to consider saying yes even if you think it's not your area of expertise, blah, blah, blah. Because I'm telling you, every single episode, I've, I'm very conscious of the fact that I don't think a woman's been on the show since Shama Sawant, which was like two or three weeks ago. And it's not because I'm not asking every single week for a woman to come on. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I just specifically say white because um, I honestly think that the reason why it seems like the left doesn't have the ability to be combative or be, I guess, offensive in this type of, not uh, not offensive, but I guess, uh, on the attack in these conversations is because we as black leftists aren't having enough conversations with white leftists about how to have these conversations. And I believe that in response, white leftists just listen to what we say and co-opt our language without having any definitions or personal experiences with those words. So part of the reason I really wanted to have Maximilian on is because he was conservative. He grew up conservative. And so for me, it was important to have someone with that perspective or, mm-hmm. or who you know had conservative family members or whatever, more so than that they be white. Because also that's part of the funny trick of the replacement theory stuff is that, okay, so there is totally, and historically there has been, it's petered out a little bit, but like two to 10 years ago, kind of in the Obama era and in the after haze of it, 
it was a very prominent, common, you know, thing to say among liberals that Mm -hmm. Republicans were on their way out because of immigration trends and because of growing numbers of Latinos, Democrats were here to stay and the Republican Party was dead. People thought that Obama was like proof of that concept. Yeah, like a messiah. I'm sorry? Oh, I just said, yeah, like a, a messiah for the party. Well, yeah, but well, that the electoral trends that put him into office were going to continue forever, and that Latinos were, con- con, you know, constitutionally Democrat in nature, and that the fact that that population was growing faster than others, and that whites were going to be a minority by whatever year, meant that there was no way that Republicans could ever catch up because there was this belief that biology was destiny. Like that's liberals saying it. So now there is something kind of ironic about Tucker Carlson repeating that argument back to liberals and mm-hmm. repeating it back to his argument uh, his audience and saying they're they're trying to replace us you know because they were they were arguing that now is the the, the you know Tucker Carlson the valence of it is obviously different and he is i mean okay so it's it's ironic because on one level it is happening obviously you know the country's becoming more diverse but latinos are not so democrat as people thought they were going to be and so in some yeah. weird effed up way it actually like undermines Tucker Carlson's argument because the thing is happening but it's not actually hap- helping democrats and maybe De- Tucker Carlson should be thrilled about it because republicans have shown a great ability to court latino voters successfully at least for mm-hmm. now and so i mean it's like a, you see what i'm getting at it's like really it's a, it's kind of convoluted but the basis for what he's arguing was democrats saying that sort of thing unironically for a very long time and mm-hmm. that gives cover to the more racist valence of it where he's talking about the character of the country changing and that being an issue because ultimately he doesn't really care you know it's less about republicans winning if it were he wouldn't care because lots of latinos are voting republican it's more about it's a it's a problem regardless because of what it means to be American and, and uh, legacy Americans and all of this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely know about that. Uh, by living in Florida, you will not believe. Uh, my mom used to work for the census back in 2020. And what the census specifically or the company specifically told her to do was go to all the richest areas first and specifically ask anybody who identified as Hispanic or Latino to tell them that the only choices that they had on the census was to choose black or white. And she Mm. refused to do that because here in Florida, there are many sects of of Latino or Hispanic community that do identify specifically as not only white, but also Republican and also sort of resent or like kind of hate anybody who tries to go through the uh, the immigration process uh, illegally or try to bypass it. And I guess for anybody who is trying to figure out how to, I guess, argue or conversate with uh, like a libertarian or a conservative, you just have to realize it's not about truth. It's about the argument and who comes out on top in the debate based upon their audience's opinions about your responses. That's what I've found anytime I'm talking to like a, a libertarian or anything. Also, we have true stuff to say. Like, you know, it's like, I remember I've told the story before, so I'll make it brief, but I was in, I was traveling um, to covering midterms in 2018 
And I was in the airport with a lady. We got an, an older lady, like in her 80s. And we got laid over and we ended up chatting because she didn't have to, she had to sleep in the airport and I felt bad and I offered her to come with me. And of course she said no, cause it was creepy for her to come sleep in my room with me. And I completely respected her choice, but we ended up meeting up the next day. And when we got to our destination, she offered to give me a ride to my location. And so I was talking to her and I was talking to her daughter who was giving us the ride. And what came out of it all was that she was a Trump voter and I asked her why, and she explained, and she was telling me about her life and how she was on, um, as she had breast cancer, and but for Medicare, she wouldn't have been able to get treatment, and how her daughter didn't have health insurance, and her kids had CHIP, but otherwise, nobody would be able to have any insurance, and they all lived in the house with her three generations because they couldn't afford X, Y, and Z, and like they were talking about all the problems of the world that the left wants to address. And I was like, well, you know, Social Security, um, Trump tried to cut social security and she was like, what? Cause like her whole family is, you know, largely subsisting on her being able to ha- keep the roof over their heads with their social security checks. I was like, well, yeah. And she was like, I had no idea. And I was like, well, like here, this is our, here's an article. Here's, you know, I'm not making this up. I promise. I, 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 I was careful. I wasn't vilify Trump. I didn't have any reaction when she told me she supported him and stuff. I was like, look, it's neither here nor there. I understand that the reasons you like him, but just this is the truth of the matter. And that sounds to me like from what you described is this would really devastate your life. She's like, yeah, I didn't know that. I was like, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> you know, and so it's just really crazy to me that like of all the bloviating and the money spent on attacking Trump and trying to get rid of Trump, like what if the only thing you had to do was put some millions of dollars behind ads in Florida that said the man tried to cut the social program you liked? That's true. It just makes me ins- like, I'm telling you, like you're asking me if I'm good, like I'm good, but like this stuff makes me crazy. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, I- I'm not a pollster. This, this is my anecdotal feelings about having been on a campaign trail for like a month because I was a journalist for like 10 months, (laughs) you know? And it's like, it just, it all seems like it's right there. Yeah. Anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I would just say you are definitely correct as well when it comes to uh, like you referencing your debate with Charlie Kirk that I hope comes out. But I don't know what he's going to do. I hope it doesn't, but it is what it is. We got to just deal with my performance. Just, you know, you know who it is? Like, I confess to having lost my temper within, like, the first 15 minutes. And Mm. you know how it is with these things. Like, if you elevate your voice at all, if you become impassioned, then it's, oh, you're triggered. And then it's like you, you you lose the ground. Like, so much of these debates is just tolerating dumb shit being thrown at you and like Mm -hmm. you get the credibility from like not getting angry which i think is like Mm -hmm. toxic for other kinds of reasons but whatever Mm -hmm. this isn't couples therapy the point is i mean the show there's a show called couples therapy where people are always like weaponizing their ability to like stay calm in arguments when the other person is more volatile and even if they're right it doesn't matter because you just get tone policed out of the conversation but never mind that's my own that's my own hang up but i i feel like (laughs) You know, I'm concerned about that. And I'm also concerned about like, I don't know. I just feel like the format and it was, it was just much more pugilistic than I had hoped. Cause I watched this debate with Ben Burgess and it was much like calmer and more respectful. And he, 
I was like, I would never have agreed to do this if I thought that this was about you saying, you know, like the talking over people and kind of making ad hominem attacks. Like you went to Harvard, you went to Harvard, you know? Okay. I mean, did you want to go to Harvard? Like, I don't understand why you keep bringing that up. Like, why is this a sticking point for you? Like, do you want to talk about when you were 18? Were you traumatized? Like, I don't understand. (laughs) I don't understand why this is a thing. You know, so we'll see how it goes. I don't even remember it anymore. I've like put it in the dark resources, recesses of my brain. I just feel like I could have done better. I'm sorry. I was saying, I was saying that's the tactic that leftists should go with instead of like responding to the belligerent things that conservatives or liberal uh, libertarians or other people say, just ask them, okay, how do you define that? What do you mean? And then usually in that, like their response, they will mention something personal rather than an anecdote. Most of the time, we'll mention something personal rather than an anecdote that's actually like based off of any statistics. And then after you get to ask them about that personal thing, what they usually get to is a point where they cannot answer. And at that point, that's when you know you quote unquote won the conversation. Yeah, sure. I mean, it just it depends. Like there are interlocutors who are more or less in good faith. And obviously, like, that in and of itself, someone could say that I'm being really unfair now. And that's true. Maybe it's not in good taste for me to be kind of talking about the debate when it certainly since it hasn't even aired yet. But it's less about, it's less about, you know, Charlie than me reflecting on my own approach to these things and um, feeling a certain obligation to perform at my best, which I don't necessarily feel like. I did, but that's a conversation for me and the therapist I don't have. So <laughs> that's that one. You don't have a therapist, Brianna Joy Gray. Because I'm sorry. Like, I'm, I'm, I said you're. It's surprising that you don't have a therapist because you seem like a person who always works out their beliefs and their thoughts. Well, my insurance isn't very good, so there's that, Owen. Hey, <laughs> what I are you going to do? I feel, I feel you on that. Sure, I feel you on that. I, I'm pretty sure most people <laughs> in this chat feel you on that. <laughs> I mean, it's not me. I need to. I bought cheap insurance when I didn't have any money, and the show was just starting, and I need to re up to some better insurance. But that again is a me problem that I won't bore the audience with. But thank you so much for calling in, Owen. I'm going to take one more, and then we're going to call it a night because got to do rising in the AM. Thanks, Owen. Okay. Sam, close this out well. What's on your mind, Sussoir? Oh my gosh, uh, the whole show is amazing. Uh, I have a quick points that I made on Patreon. I pulled over to uh, get public Wi-Fi at the Burger King just so I could get it out. <laughs> <laughs> I love the color. Okay, you set the scene. Okay, so I'm just looking for the comment. I I was like assured that I wasn't going to get in here. Okay, so. Huh. You know, a long time ago, when Destiny was at large, I don't know if you know who that is, but there was a lot of us on Reddit who were trying to talk about like a broader strategy of how do we get beyond the like debate bro, because, you know, he has the platform, that's where everybody's listening to stuff. And he would just like bowl over leftists trying to make broader socialist points. Mm-hmm. And he was just getting more right wing. So like, we had we had the idea, and this is kind of playing off the max idea that we have the numbers, that we would just create, like everybody would sort of create a, their own channel and kind of communicate with each other in like the classic, like 
that guy with the glasses way where you would like have one creator on another creator show and then you pass the baton and you just keep going and going and build like a bigger audience and rbn kind of does that a little bit where Mm -hmm. they have a lot of different creators but i was trying to there's the like direct approach like god help me if i were to talk to charlie kirk i'm like i listen to you a lot because i try to pick up on your like you seem calm to me. Like you're, you're, you're able to listen. You have a little bit more tolerance for right wing stuff. (laughs) I think Um, I do, but I don't know. Even I have my limits. Right. Right. (laughs) So I have, I have this, like, I'm going to go a little off. Um, So at work, I would say the most effective communication strategies I'd have were to talk like directly to their struggle. uh, Like, uh, the, I was, one of my coworkers was really like tired every morning. So I would talk about like my work experience and how crazy it's been since like 2017 and like being laid off and having to get temporary jobs and moving job to job. And it just feels like the employer's like sucking our life out. And the landlord is, you know, it's like in competition for the money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so it's like I, when they bring up a culture war issue, I feel like I can almost hand wave it as a working person and be like, uh, what about cost of living? Like, I'm just going to, I'm right now, my sister wants to move in with her boyfriend and I work a full-time job. And I'm just going to have to move in with my mom because there's just no way I can afford the rent here. And so I feel like it's so much harder to talk, to have like the debate with a Tucker Carlson type who has never had to endure that. And I wonder if you could actually kind of disarm him by bringing up some of that stuff because he'll have to be on the back foot trying to like conjure up himself like imagine himself in that situation where he doesn't actually have the experience Um, well certainly i think that people you know i i think i i wouldn't want to try to you know disingenuously do that myself right i think that people who are in that situation i think that part of why for example he didn't really try to mess with chris malls that much is because he got the sense that chris malls had that kind of authenticity that he couldn't challenge exactly and when people have that ability because they come from a working background, then I think that they should definitely use that to their advantage. Um, but I think regardless, for most people, uh, evoking the struggles of working people is very effective. You just have to be careful that they don't have a solution to the problem that's not one that you would want they're super vibes based like they're just like you were saying they're like waiting to see if your pulse increases and their nose their nostrils flare up when you do and they're like aha i got you yeah frustrating yeah so i just i think that the worry is if you say you know you know it's just look at how this baby formula stuff's going everyone can sit there and agree it's horrible for mothers to not be able to feed their children. We're the richest country in the history of the world, and there's a formula shortage. But saying that and saying, "Oh, that's so horrible," isn't any some isn't any guarantee that the hypothetical Tucker type is going to then agree with you that the solution is that we need, you know, 
you know, worker owned factories so that people invest in machinery getting overhauled instead of spending money on stock buybacks. Right. Yeah. I mean, you have the data about the stock buyback. I don't know. He may or may not agree, you know, depending, but you got to be prepared to then address the argument about the FDA's failures. Mm -hmm. And my, my, my belief, and this is me too. Like when Robbie brought that up, I was like, I haven't really given much thought to the FDA, to be honest. It seems to me like there's so many other (laughs) enemies that like, this isn't the one, but like you, if you want to succeed, the reason I ended up doing like my radar on this two days after he did his radar on it was because I felt these points in the conversation that I didn't have answers. He made, he was making arguments. I didn't have answers to. So I went and did some research and then I did my radar, but like you gotta do the research. I think that sometimes liberal, like people on the broad left, we don't always feel like we need to confront the other person's argument. We just yeah, think we can make our own argument. Is, like, our knowledge about the host specifically, and that just gets you all, you know, riled up and focused on taking them down. I would like totally ignore like the person if I could, but obviously in a debate, I, I don't know if you can do that. Yeah. So it's, if, you know, if you know that people have this grievance with the FDA, it's important to know what that grievance is to the extent to which it's legitimate. You know, there are like, yeah. there are real criticisms to be made of the FDA. And then there was this whole other part of the radar that I was going to go into, but I kind of ran out of time, which was why is the, the FDA not able to follow up on complaints? Like, is it just negligence or is it like a staffing and funding issue? Oh, it turns out the FDA has been kind of systemically defunded over time. And I threw in that one line of, alluding to this where they, the FDA regulates, you know, has to test 20% of everything that you ever buy is FDA tested. They, they have an enormous impact on the market in terms of what they're responsible for, but they only, their, their budget is like 10 cents of every, I mean, it's like minuscule depend when compared with how much Mm -hmm. money is being made on what can be sold because they did do their review. Yeah. And And it sets them up like a boxing bag. Where they can just take hits on you because of that. Right. Or- and that's, that's what conservatives do. They defund the government so that it's mm-hmm. ineffective. And then they blame it for being ineffective and they defund I, it some more. I wonder if there's some like they they really do assume a lot of leftists are like exactly like liberals. And I wonder if like there's a lot of like conservatives that will like give you a weary look because you you want like a big policy change and part of them and this happens with liberals too thinks well that's obviously impossible in this current uh the the current uh you know layout so i wonder if bringing up like well hypothetically if we did a revolution (laughs) where you like i I mean like i'm not exactly obviously i want to state but this isn't the the way it's gonna be and there's there's a little bit of like um I think they would buy the or bite on the red meat that like obviously there is a lot of knotted regulation and it's like absolutely too dense for any normal person to understand and so they're like well we just have to simplify it and obviously deregulation would reel back tons of actual efforts uh but like we we could start new and I, I wonder if we could pitch to them, like, you know, what a hypothetical new position would be, uh, like a new policy. I, I liked when Max said that uh, the, the 
if you ask them specifically about what policy, you know, then they have to like go, well, I don't know. I haven't really thought about it because it's more yeah. about the rhetoric and about when. I mean, the- I, yeah, I think, I think that's right. Although, like I was saying, it depends because oftentimes they really do have an answer and their answer is defund the FDA. Right. The answer is build a wall would defund the FDA. We could just build a new one from the ground up. And like, let's talk about how we would uh, build that. Like, uh, like I I hear what you're saying, but you know, we don't really have to work through this hypothetically because, you know, we, we know what they say, you know, these conversations are happening on the time. And what they say is that they don't believe that government can be trusted. They don't think that we should have that the government should be very limited, that it's, naturally a corruptible system when when leftists mm-hmm. point to the fact that there's these rotating doors and um you know lloyd austin is in biden's cabinet and all of these things they take that as evidence that government is too vulnerable and I that mean, we should defect to the private sector I obviously mean, the argument is pointing out all the ways that the private sector has done so dirt so dirty and that it doesn't yeah. self-regulate itself but you you know where they're gonna go so we're like we're a little bit I think we're a little bit like I, I don't want to. I want to be so naive as to sit here and say, "Oh, they have no answers." They fully have answers. <laughs> well, their answer is so vague. It's like a like, "Oh, we'll just let the private corporation do whatever the hell they want." Like, obviously, there needs to be some like answer from the people if the private corporation does something absolutely fundamentally, you know. Right, and the pro- the problem is that you, you can make mal- that argument. No, openly Malthusians. <laughs> the problem is you can make that argument, but you have to be prepared to with examples mm-hmm. of how the private sector has failed to regulate itself. So, but, what made the wait, wait a second. What made the FDA exchange effective was that this is a clear example where we we knew there was a problem. There was internal whistleblower that was saying that there was a problem. They were covering up. This wasn't like, oh, sometimes a dam breaks and there's nothing you can do. There's no way you could have known. This was a known known and the business decided not to self-regulate even though it potentially hurt its own bottom line. And so you have to be prepared to point that kind of thing out. You have to be prepared to say this is how this is exactly what caused the financial crisis. And many people are prepared to make those arguments, but many fewer people who are actually on TV are prepared to make those arguments. I'm not so worried about the pundit themselves. I would just, you know, be talking to the audience because the audience is like, you know, older 50 year olds who have like a weird, they don't, they don't really, you know, I would just try to speak to their needs, you know, at like, yeah, we're ta- of course we're carrot. talking about the audience. All of this is for the audience. Right. So I just mean like, if you can position yourself as more thoughtful, more caring and more focused on like the problems and solving the problems as opposed to like just wheeling back to we can't do anything the government is bad let's just deregulate because obviously deregulation won't do anything <laughs> it just yeah. makes it worse. i mean i just i am pushing back because the obviously is not obvious to people like, mm, and fair. and that obviously is where the left and liberals die is because we are smug and we think that shit is obvious yeah, I and guess when they I'm don't think it's obvious, you know, <laughs> like, they don't think me as smug because we're all kind of on the same level. Yeah, I just you got to pro- like we have to be prepared to prove what we believe, not just assume because it's so like right. And I, I, don't, I don't mean to be pedantic, but like no, okay. in my experience, the whole thing hangs on that. The whole thing hangs on being able to substantiate your belief because they're reading the Federalist Papers and we're saying obviously. You know, but well, for, yeah, I just I'm just always meeting the. Uh, from my experience. I'm just not online that much. I'm always mm-hmm. talking to 
people. And so it's easy. Like I just, I have a really, uh, Larry Elder style coworker who's like, uh, he'll bring up lots of different cultural issues and kind of launch them and wait to see if I'll respond in like in a triggered way. And, uh, I, I thought I accidentally brought this up like about his retirement because I assumed that he had some kind of thing worked out and he went on to say like, Oh, I had this job. Oh, I had this job. Oh, I had this job like in like a rhetorically uh like bringing thing after thing up and then he said he didn't have anything and I was like that that's crazy <laughs> I'm in the same position as you and it's if you don't have a retirement like what what are you even arguing about like what's the whole point of like your politics like we oh man that's just rough mm. but he did understand me a lot more after that mm. and we got along a lot better after that and so I don't know I'm just a person to person guy I have no idea how you would talk to a pundit well, Charlie Kirk look, about it. it sounds it sounds like you're doing the Lord's work so thank you so much for that Sam and thank you for calling in tonight and uh yeah. pulling over even to do it I'm glad you were safe about it <laughs> all right Sam thank you and thank all of you who called in tonight I know we had a bit of a rough start and stop I appreciate your perseverance. I'm glad we were able to have this fun conversation tonight. It really helped me work through some ideas. I'm going to hit the hay because I have got a, an early morning tomorrow. Remember to cut, cut clips of these so we can share it. There were some great moments on yesterday's episode or Thursday's episode that I really thought I was going to be able to post to social media. And then I saw there were zero clips made from that episode. I hope that's not the case tonight. Uh, I would love for the world at large to know the work that we're all doing here and to get a sense of the beautiful personalities, ideas that are circulating around in these chats. So please go ahead and you can clip using the scissor tool in this app, the best parts of the conversation. You can search it using a transcript and um, then you can also download them as an audiogram and share them that way. And I can also download them and share them that way, which makes it really easy for me to promote the show. Thank you again. I will see you on Thursday uh, for our call-in after Thursday's free episode. A reminder, you can watch an extended 30-minute clip from this premium episode on Bad Faith YouTube. We appreciate it if you like and subscribe to the channel. And uh, if you have the means to do so, you can subscribe at patreon.com slash badfaithpodcast for $5 a month and get all of our backlogged episodes. And of course, this most recent premium episode and the full video of it as well. Take care and don't forget to sing a song. Keep the faith. Oh, yeah.